welcome to The Rob Burgess Show. I'm, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 153rd episode, our returning guest is Jonathan Fowler. You first heard Jonathan Fowler on episodes 2, 10, 20, 21, 29, 30, 31, 32, 34, 35, 43, 48, 51, 56, 64, 74, 83, 92, 102, 103, 104, 105, 106, 107, 108, 109, 111, 114, 115, 116, 119, 126, 127, 133, 137, 140, 146, 147, 149, and episode 82, which also featured fellow regular guest Ash Burgess of the podcast. Jonathan graduated with a BA in history from Indiana University in 2006. He is an unabashed left-wing political junkie. He has lived and worked in South Korea for over 10 years, trying to help the citizens of that great nation hopefully talk pretty one day. And now on to the show. Well, I think you sold this debate a little bit short because you said that it wasn't as exciting as the first night. And actually, I thought there was some pretty uh, a lot of sparks happening at certain moments here. So. Okay. Yeah. Well. Well. Good. I'm glad you. I'm glad if you saw something there that I didn't quite see, or you know, I mean, there were definitely moments and things that happened, but mm-hmm. you know, between the first debate, the original one where you know, Kamala Harris just landed a body blow on Biden, mm-hmm. and then you know, uh, Bernie and Warren the twin mm-hmm. flamethrower battle, uh, mm-hmm. battle royale that that was. I mean, between those two, I don't know. I just didn't see as much in this one, but I don't know. You'll have to enlighten me a little bit here. Right. Yeah, so how are things going in general, though? Oh, going pretty good. Yeah, we're going to go to the library here later, so we're just, uh, kids are just playing with their various toys uh, while we're talking, so you may hear some background uh, noises from them. So. Okay. <laughs> All right, good to know. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's been a pretty crazy time. I'm trying to think about what's gone on over the past. I, I feel like there's a lot of stuff to talk about. I mean, um, Mm. Uh, as far as what's going on in the world right now, I mean, oh, yeah. Donald Trump wants to buy Greenland. Is that right? <laughs> That's what I hear. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I can't tell if this is another thing where he's trying to like change the change the media narrative or something again or something. Although I think that's always been a little bit overblown. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, Israel is banned. Uh, Rashida Tlaib and Omar, uh, uh, God, uh, what's her name? Omar, uh, uh, Ilhan Omar, Ilhan Omar. Yeah. Yeah. From entering Israel, which, you know, the decision to ban me and my colleagues, the first, my colleague, the first two Muslim American women elected to Congress is nothing less than an attempt by an ally of the United States to suppress our ability to do our jobs as elected officials. But this is not just about me. Netanyahu's decision to deny us entry might be unprecedented for members of Congress, but it is the policy of his government when it comes to Palestinians. This is the policy of his government when it comes to anyone who holds views that threaten the occupation, a policy that has been edged on and supported by Trump's administration. 
That's because the only way to preserve unjust policy is to suppress people's freedom of uh, expression, freedom of association, and freedom of movement. My colleague and I are not the only ones who are being denied the right to see for ourselves the reality on the ground on the West Bank. The Netanyahu government, for example, is currently trying to deport Omar Shakir, a human rights worker with Human Rights Watch, because he has reported on human rights conditions in the West Bank and Gaza. Last year, the Netanyahu government refused entry to American citizen Catherine Frank, Frank and my friend Vince Warren, who had arrived on a human rights mission. All of these actions have nothing to do nothing to bring us closer to peace. In fact, they do the opposite. They maintain the occupation and prevent a solution to the conflict. Fortunately, we in the United States have a constructive role to play. We give Israel more than $3 million in aid every year. This is predicated on their being an important ally in the region and the only democracy in the Middle East. But denying visit to duly elected members of Congress is not consistent with being an ally and denying millions of people freedom of movement or expression or self-determination is not consistent with being a democracy. Growing up in a city that has been at the center of many social justice movements for civil rights, labor rights and equality and absorbing those lessons has shaped who I am today and drives me to push for peace and justice for the Palestinian and Israeli people. As a young girl visiting Palestine to see my grandparents and extended family, I watched as my mother had to go through dehumanizing checkpoints. Even though she was a United States citizen and proud American, I was there when my city was in a terrible car accident and my cousins and I cried so she could have access to the best hospitals, which were in Jerusalem. I remember shaking with fear when checkpoints appeared in the small village of Beth Orelfoka, tanks and guns everywhere. I remember visiting East Jerusalem with my then husband and him escorting, escorted off the bus, although he was a United States citizen just so security forces could harass him. All I can do as my city's granddaughter, as the, as the granddaughter of a woman who lives in occupied territory is to elevate her voice by exposing the truth the only way I know how. As my Detroit public schools teachers taught me by humanizing the pain of oppression. Our delegation trip included meetings with Israeli veterans who were forced to participate in military occupation they also desperately want peace and self-determination for their Palestinian neighbors. They could have shed light into injustices of raids, shootings, demolitions, and child detention. The delegation would have seen firsthand why walls are destructive, not productive. They could have asked the people in Bethlehem how walls cut people off away from economic opportunities, from a way to live, and do psychological damage that lasts forever. All I can do as her granddaughter is help humanize her 
and the Palestinian people's plight. I know that when we can finally see them as deserving of human dignity, everyone who lives there will be able to live in peace. It is unfortunate that Prime Minister Netanyahu has apparently taken a page out of Trump's book and even direction from Trump to deny this opportunity. And yes, while folks are shocked that this happened to us, but today we will hear from folks who help show the reality for many who have been barred from going to, into Israel not to be even able to reach the Palestinian people. They are fellow Americans who cannot visit their families or their loved ones. They should be deep, all of us should be deeply disturbed. All of us Americans should be deeply disturbed. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, they're very happy to pay to, to bring over Congress people, including new Congress people, to get them on board with the pro-Israel agenda when they're, you know, freshman senators or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you're if you're with the BDS movement or something, they will ban you from entering their country. Yeah. So when it's violence or something, same thing with, you know, anything with the uh, Black Lives Matter or something or protesting Trump when it's, you know, Antifa or something. They always say, oh, just you can protest. You can have your freedom of speech, but just just don't be violent. And then people mm-hmm. go to something that's nonviolent, like taking a knee at the sports games or. No, not like that. <laughs> just just protesting or even boycotting a country, which is the same thing that people did, right-thinking yeah. people did during the 1980s against South Africa. South Africa, to, yeah. And, and then they'll say, oh, no, no, that's unacceptable. That's anti- unpatriotic. It's anti-Semitic. It's, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. Like, they, they, you know, they always move the goalpost. Oh, sure. So... Yeah, it's but, it's pretty ridiculous, but yeah, yeah, that's that's been interesting to watch because I think uh, didn't uh, Talib uh, refuse to go after they said she could? Yeah, which was the correct. I mean, it's a sad story because her grandma lives there apparently. Still, uh-huh. I mean, but um, but again, this just highlights the perversion of the whole situation. She's a Palestinian American, and she can't re- return to see her own family in Palestine. Mm. Because mm-hmm. the powers that be over there say it's not acceptable because of a political stance that she has. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as as for me, I'm still I'm still rolling with the squad as far as how things are going these days. So. Oh yeah, they can all just share the presidency week to week, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a rotating cast. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate. I don't know. It's, uh, I don't know, whatever it's, uh, I think, you know, Bernie talked about tying their, uh, the finances of, you know, the, the money that America gives or loans or, you know, weapon systems that we sell to Israel or whatever mm-hmm. to their allowing Congress people to freely come and go or whatever. Mm-hmm. Senator, good to see you. Uh, what's your reaction to president Trump asking the president of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, to do this and Netanyahu obliging. Well, I wish I could tell you, Ali, that I am shocked. Uh, I am not. We have a president who tragically is a racist, uh, is a xenophobe and who is a religious bigot. But the idea that a member of the United States Congress cannot visit a nation which, by the way, we support to the tune of billions and billions of dollars, is clearly an outrage. And if Israel doesn't want members of the United States Congress to visit their country to get a firsthand look 
at what's going on, and I've been there many, many times. But if he doesn't want members to visit, maybe he can respectfully decline the billions of dollars uh, that we, we give to Israel. Over time, uh, in excess of $140 billion, last year alone, $3 billion in various types of aid. You've actually suggested that that might be used to leverage uh, some of Israel's behavior that, that uh, Representatives Omar and Tlaib are critical of, as you've been critical of. Well, all that I am saying is that we need a Middle East policy which is even-handed, which protects the independence and the safety of Israel, but also shows respect to the Palestinian people, many of whom in Gaza and elsewhere are suffering incredibly. Unemployment rate off the charts. People cannot leave their community. And I think what the United States should be doing, especially with the enormous amount of money we're spending there, is to demand that Israel uh, and the Palestinian, Palestinian leadership sit down and start working out uh, their differences and create peace uh, in that troubled region. Senator, you know, I'm never going to pass an opportunity to, when you're on with me to talk about the economy. Um, I want to talk about what's going on this week. Uh, Donald Trump's trade war, the effect that is having. Uh, look, he's been roundly criticized for the way he's handled this, not critical of the fact that uh, he and some of his supporters believe that China needs to be dealt with differently. You too have had views, so and so, many of your supporters have had views that uh, we lose out to manufacturing that comes from low-wage countries like China. Watching what you're watching now, how would a President Bernie Sanders deal with trade issues differently? Because you were against the TPP. You have come out against Absolutely. a lot of these trade agreements. Yeah. So how would you handle matters differently so that we don't get ourselves into the pickle we're in right now? Well, first of all, you don't do trade policy by tweet. You don't have a belligerent policy uh, toward our allies all over the world. Uh, what you do is sit down uh, with the stakeholders, which is labor, which are farmers, and you work out a trade policy which works for ordinary Americans and not just uh, large corporations, which has historically been what our trade policy is about. Look, the truth is that if you looked at NAFTA and PNTR with China, uh, that has cost us some four million jobs. So I happen to believe in trade. I'm a strong believer in trade. But it cannot be unfettered free trade, which it really is not. It's nothing free about it. But it has to be fair trade, which protects American workers and farmers. Senator, when you got into government, trade, I'm making this up, but it was somewhere around 20 percent of global GDP. It's now somewhere around 60, in excess of 60 percent of GDP. The world got richer for it. GDP is higher. Corporate profitability is higher. The fact is there's more money because of trade. We haven't used that money to train people, to retrain people, to equip people for the future. Is trade really the enemy, or is how we deal with the profits from trade the problem? Well, Ali, that's—I think trade is one of the problems. Automation uh, and artificial intelligence, which are going to cost us many, many jobs, are another part of the problem. Uh, but to answer your question, when we talk about the overall economy, it's more than trade. You have to look at a situation where today— you have three people owning more wealth than the bottom half of American society. That's not just trade. There's a lot of factors mm -hmm. involved there. You have major corporations like Amazon not paying a nickel in federal income taxes. you got half of the American people working paycheck to paycheck. 87 million Americans are either uninsured or underinsured. And tonight, some 500,000 Americans are going to be sleeping out on the street 
when 49% of all new income goes to the top 1%. So the bottom line there is trade is one of the issues, not the only one. We need an economy and a government that works for everybody, not just the 1%, which is currently the case. What, what does it look like to work for everybody? And I know we'll get to Medicare for all in a second, because that's one of the, th the things you, you say will work for everybody. Good. But what does it mean for the rest of people who are not employed? Who it's not, a, it's not a huge percentage of our population. It's a very low percentage, but it's stubborn. There are a number of people in this country, somewhere around 10 million people, who are not, not participating in this economy. But Ali, Ali, it's not just the unemployed, and you're right, there are more than we think, and they're hurting. It is, in fact, tens of millions of people who are trying to get by today on 10, 11, 12 bucks an hour. You can't do it. Uh, it is uh, people in Vermont and in California working two or three jobs in order to put the, pay the bills that their families uh, are needing. Uh, it is elderly people who are trying to get by on 12, $13,000 a year uh, Social Security. It is people, one out of five people cannot afford the, the medicine that their doctors prescribe. So the truth is, you got an economy that's doing really, really well mm -hmm. for the people on top, but a lot of people are hurting uh, in the bottom 50%, and that is an issue we've got to talk about. All right, let's talk about Medicare for All. You know, I like talking about this with you. Uh, yes, Kevin I coming from Canada, I, I, I understand what everybody having health care uh, looks like. However, one of the things you and I have talked about is that there will be structural change with your plan. There will be people uh, put out of their jobs, and there will be a transition, and you've talked about it taking at least four years to get done, if not longer. Now we have a different problem on our hands. We have a president. We're 10 years and two months into an expansion. It's a very long one. At some point, there's going to be a recession. There are some people saying this president might march us headlong into one with his trade policies. What happens? Bernie Sanders wins the election. President Bernie Sanders, are you going to implement Medicare for all right off the top if you happen to be in a, in a absolutely. bad economy? Oh, absolutely. Well, this will improve the economy. Uh, when you got 87 million people who can't afford to go to the doctor, you got 30 million 30,000 people who are going to die this year because they don't get to a doctor when they should. Uh, when you have uh, 500,000 people, I think it's unbelievable, half a million people go bankrupt because they cannot afford the outrageous medical bills Only they get. Only country in the developed world where that happens. That's right. So if you're asking me, overall, will it improve the economy to have Medicare for all over a four-year transition? The answer is absolutely yes. And I'll tell you, one of the things we don't talk enough about. Uh, it will help home health care for the elderly who don't have to go into a nursing home because my legislation covers uh, home health care. The other thing it does, which is pretty amazing, is that if you are in a job right now, and there are millions of people who are at a job that they really don't like, but they're there because they get decent health care. When you have Medicare for all, suddenly you're going to see a whole lot of people starting small businesses going out and doing all kinds of incredible things because they are not now chained down uh, at a job which they have only because they uh, have decent health care. I don't know. I think it's a step in the right direction. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm excited to see if if we get a Bernie Sanders in office, I'm excited to see, you know, what Israel does. Mm -hmm. If they if they want to stick with Netanyahu or if they want to put somebody in power there who can, you know, work with the new America. Yeah, I mean, they're basically just banking on the fact that Trump and Netanyahu have this relationship, but if there's not that relationship anymore, he's got plenty of personal problems. He's got corruption scandals and all the rest, so, I mean, maybe they would throw him overboard, who knows, so. Yeah. 
yeah, it's that's one mess. I'm trying to think what the other messes are these days. Um, uh, it looks oh, like yeah, North Korea economy. is shooting. Oh, yeah, the economy. Well, I was going to say North Korea is shooting stuff off into the ocean, but, yeah, the economy. <laughs> yeah. Well, North Korea is a whole other story. I don't know why they're angry right now. I think it's because there's some sort of war games going on between South Korea and America right now. and mm. And they basically said they don't want to deal with South Korea anymore. They want to deal directly with Trump or with China or whoever. They don't want to they don't want to cut South Korea in, which is, you know, I'm sure, you know, glory hog that he is. I'm sure Trump would be happy to do that. But I'm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, obviously any kind of negotiation that happens without South Korea at the table is uh, non. It's not going to go anywhere. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And it's. You know, it's interesting because Moon Jae-in, the president of South Korea, has made, you know, kind of renewing the sunshine policy of the two previous left-wing presidents kind of a part of his thing here. And now Kim Jong-un is basically saying he doesn't want to deal with Moon Jae-in right now. Hmm. And it's, you know, frustrating and short-sighted because probably, if I had to guess... I would say probably the next president of South Korea is going to be a right winger because the economy has been going badly. A lot of people are blaming Moon Jae-in, you know, feminism versus men's rights stuff is heating up over here as an issue. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of kind of anti Moon Jae-in sentiment and stuff. And so, Mm. and so, you know, Kim Jong-un may be kicking himself after Moon Jae-in's are gone and and wishing he had somebody like this to negotiate with because, Mm -hmm. My guess is the next president is not going to be like this. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, you were going to talk about the economy. Yeah, well, the South Korean economy is not doing so great. Uh, we're we're boycotting Japan, and Japan is boycotting us. And they blocked. Basically, what happened was the South Korean Supreme Court said that certain Japanese companies had to pay restitution to, uh, I think. Uh, forced laborers or something or the comfort women or something. I'm not sure exactly how it ties in. Mm. There was some injustice during World World War II or during the colonial period that the Japanese companies were going to be required to pay to certain victims in Korea, but they refused to do it. And Japan stopped exporting certain crucial parts for semiconductors to South Korea. And semiconductors is one of the major industries in South Korea. So Mm. that hurt the economy. And then the Korean people basically kind of in fits and starts with government support or without government support, just started boycotting everything Japanese. You used to be able to buy four tall boy beers for $10 over here at convenience stores. And there were a lot of international beers and stuff. And now all the Japanese beers have been taken off the deal. So you have to buy Mm. Korean or European or other Chinese, even beers. Wow. It's a sad story. No more, yeah, it is a sad no more story. Asahai or Kirin Ichiban or, uh, mm. I mean, I could still get them, I guess, but just not for the same price. Mm. So, when, our, when, when our tall boys start getting taken down, what, what's next? Yeah, that's really hitting me in the paycheck. <laughs> that, that's really hitting me in the pocketbook. That's that's those kitchen table issues that people yeah. talk about. Yeah. Sometimes, if I had a kitchen table, I'd probably drink there. <laughs> It sounds like a country song. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does. Wow. <laughs> good. Good call. Yeah. Tonight I'm drinking a goose. Uh, goose Island IPA. Ah. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, I've had Goose Island before. They're good. 
out of Chicago, I believe. <clears throat> oh, are they? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's nothing special. It's not my favorite IPA, but I'm just happy that Korea is starting to wake up to the IPA a little bit. So. Mm. What about the sour beers? Do you get those over there yet? Sour beers? Like, I, I don't know. What do you mean? Uh, just like sour ales. That's the new craft beer thing in America now is like um, uh, sour beers. I don't know much about it, but... Huh. No, I'm not familiar with it. I mean, I'll have to look around. Probably some of the more, you know, forward-looking places have got them already, but I just, I'm not aware of it, so. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, the, uh, what, what's going on in America? The the economy is starting to, I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're probably going into a recession here, it looks like. I mean. Yeah, which is, which is bad for people uh, in general, but it may be good for us overall because it's hard to argue that you should give trump four more years if it's a bad economy because that's usually the thing where it's like well i know everything else is terrible but at least if the economy is okay yeah uh, you know what i mean so it's like yeah maybe it would be bad in the short term but maybe we do maybe it's what we need to get you know get things uh, moving in the right direction and also the democrats in the house are uh saying that they're doing impeachment already somehow just by making these requests for documents i, and stuff. I don't buy i don't buy no, i don't buy it either that's such a stupid thing to say like a, yeah oh we're already you know come on mm-hmm. don't i mean i know they have to Not say that happen. because mm-hmm. yeah, yeah they well more yeah. than half of their caucus is for impeachment now so they have to say something so um yeah i i thought that i thought it was something where now Again, there's just so much stuff going on in the news. It's really hard for me to get very specific, but I thought that there was a um, they were able to get certain documents or something released if it was under the guise of an impeachment thing. And so they were kind of wink, wink, nod, nod. Yes, yes, we are in an impeachment investigation. So you should give us those documents. Mm-hmm. But they aren't actually, you know, no. going full bore into an you know impeachment. Who knows? I mean. Nancy Pelosi may flip the switch on it at January 1st and, you know, to try to hit him right as we're getting into serious campaign season. But mm-hmm. I just wish they'd do it. It's it needs to be done. Yeah. And they can slow walk it all the way till past the election. If they if that's what they're worried about, you know, the Senate or whatever. Hey, let's let's have the hearings for the next year. You know, just just do it. You know, let's just have this yeah. drawn out thing. We slowly have drip, drip, drip of headlines. That works for me. And then if you want to send it to the Senate the day after the election, so be it. That's fine. Like impeach him on his last day in office. That's that's good enough for me. (laughs) Yeah, something needs to be said and done. Um, Mm -hmm. And and frankly, it'll be fun just to watch him scream and howl Mm -hmm. in the in the and on Twitter and in in front of helicopters at various places the entire time that, you know, they're subpoenaing various things and, you know, getting testimony from his kids and whoever else or whatever. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, for sure. Well, I thought Julian Castro in this debate here, we're going to talk about had a good line about that. He was like, you know, it, we're always like, Oh, if we don't, if we impeach him and the Senate can, doesn't convict, then he'll say he was one, but it's like, what, what's the cost of not doing it? It's that he'll say, well, they didn't go after me. So it must've been okay what I did. And they always go after me. So this must be fine. So, yeah, yeah. It. I mean, yeah, pretty much as far as I can tell, whatever the, the thing that they're trying to avoid by not actually impeaching him, since they know it won't succeed in the Senate, 
he's gonna he's gonna have seventy five percent of that whether we do it or not. He's gonna mm-hmm. say they didn't impeach or they were too scared or they didn't have the goods or you know they mm-hmm. really wanted to, which is true. A lot of people really want to, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Ironically, it's the uh, it's the swamp that's protecting him. Basically, it's the the old good old boys club where you know. Mm-hmm. people too high up i mean we got this jeffrey epstein thing going on epstein epstein whatever oh yeah that's crazy that's wild yeah um <clears throat> i don't know what happened there i mean that's um you know i it will be very hard to ever convince me that he wasn't killed in one way or another now what do i mean by that um you can look at that a couple of ways, I think. Well, number one, I think like, you know, child molesters or whatever in prison are often killed or whatever, assaulted and stuff like that. So, you know, just by, you know, not checking in on him or whatever, whether he was all alone in the in the cell or not, I think they need to release the CCTV footage for the entire night or whatever. Who was walking in the hallway? Who was there? You know. It's like uh, people. A lot of people have been saying it's like the uh, the Barksdale murder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually yeah. thought of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, you know, and the thing with like his neck being broken, and I guess today or yesterday they came out and they said that they ruled it a, a suicide. But mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. It's um, like they're saying this one thing in his neck was broken, which is usually broken in homicides and almost never broken in suicides. Mm-hmm. But my thing is. I'm guessing in a cell, I don't imagine, like, I imagine parts of your neck get broken in a hanging when you're dropped, right? Like, if you get, if you get dropped from some height, that's going to crack your neck. But if you're just like, if you're just like, kind of like putting yourself in a situation where you're sitting, you know, sitting down at an angle where you can't get back up, or I don't know how he would have even done it in the cell. I think they need to, Mm -hmm. you know, not to be morose or morbid about it, but I think they need to really you know, radical transparency is called for in this situation because inquiring minds on every side want to know. And yeah, I mean, even the most innocent explanations require like some level of scrutiny. Like let's say that no one killed him. Well, then, then they shouldn't have taken him off suicide watch and they shouldn't have had these two incompetent guards. One of which was not even a guard by the way, uh, okay. watching this guy. And apparently they said they fell asleep and then they falsified the records and now they've been put on leave or something. I don't know. It, it, it really is. It's one of those things that like, it just, it just screams like, here's a conspiracy. And, but it's like, once again, Trump master of projection says that it was the Clinton somehow, even though he's in charge of the Bureau of Prisons, he and William Barr, uh, you know, and and they probably have more control over that situation than a, a former president would anyway. So it's like if you're really going to throw that kind of shade, you better watch out because you're the one that has the most control. And I think a lot of people on all sides had something to win from him not being able to talk. I mean, Prince Andrew and a lot of powerful people are breathing a sigh of relief today. Yeah, uh, some people say MBS as well. Has, sure, MBS. Yeah, he had a, he had a he, well, he had a fake uh, Saudi passport with 
uh, found in in his house, and he has a he had a picture of NBS on his wall, and yeah, there's a lot of powerful people that had something to gain by this happening. So, I don't know what yeah. happened. I doubt we'll ever know really what happened, but it's at the very least gross neglect and uh, incompetence, and at any other higher level, it's like you know conspiracy land. So. Well, the thing with, I mean, unfortunately, from what I've seen online, it seems like the 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 Trumpers and the, the Republicans with their, you know, oh, Clinton body count, you know, that conspiracy theory seems to be winning the day on the Internet. But, like, my thing is, I think, like, I wanted to make a meme with, like, uh, you know, Randy from Scream and Scream 2. And there's, like, that part in Scream 2 where he and, uh, he and Officer Dewey or whatever are talking, and he's like, well, he's like, you know, and he's like, and so da 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 so and so but i'm not a suspect or something he's like well wait wait back up maybe you are a suspect and he's like well if i'm a suspect you're a suspect and he's like you're right let's move on like the, the that's the only thing you need to say if the clintons are a suspect then donald trump is double a suspect here because you know i don't know i think the clintons realize their political career is over like they what what's left to protect <sighs> Donald Trump has got a shitload to lose right now. Yeah. And and frankly, Bill Clinton did a lot of shady stuff with women, including yes. in, in one case being accused of rape. And those were all grown women, though. Like Donald Trump has got accusations from a 13 year old. And, you know, and Donald Trump has made statements about, you know, oh, uh, Jeffrey Epstein's a wonderful guy. And. He has just like me has great taste in women, and some even say that the women are very young or something. Mm-hmm. It's like you know you drop the audio in there or whatever, but like, yeah, he's 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 on. He knew about this shit decades ago. Yeah, yeah, he's just as implicated as Clinton. So I don't understand his game about invoking he's, the Clinton he's more he's more like. Im, he's more implicated than Clinton. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, Clinton says that he took four trips on the thing. Republicans say it was twenty-seven trips. Somebody else broke it down and said that actually it was four trips with different legs of the trip. So every time that they stopped somewhere, it counted as a slightly like different trip or something. But the, there's no record of him going to the island. So whatever the hell Clinton was doing. And frankly, you know, <clears throat> this is a little undemocratic, but my thing is arrest everybody. Yeah, yeah. Take him down. I love how everyone on like Twitter and stuff was like, oh, but what if Clinton is proved? It's like, fine. Okay, bye. <laughs> I don't need yep. him. Go ahead. <laughs> it's like that's yeah. the di- see that's one of the differences between what's happening now and what what we're talking about. It's like we don't have a cult of personality. I liked Clinton. I thought he was a good president. I wish he was president right now. But if it turns <laughs> out that he did something horrible like that, see ya. Bye. I wouldn't twist mm-hmm. reality to try to like make it into him into like a victim like they would with Trump, you know what I mean? It's like it's totally different. Yeah. Well, I think I think I think the American public needs to see, frankly, we need to see because people are into conspiracy theories, which is not even really much of a conspiracy theory. It's mm-hmm. like something happened. Either either it was a, a, you know, an intentional conspiracy to kill this guy, or even it was just a kind of a an intentional ne- negligent death where they didn't really care because he's a child molester or something, uh, which is a problem in the prison systems. I mean, frankly, people getting raped inside the prison systems, people getting murdered constantly in, inside the prison systems, which we don't often hear about. Mm-hmm. Frankly, that should be front page news. Every time there's a death in the prison in your state, it should be, you know, in the newspaper. Right. Mm-hmm. Because that's, that's sure. how you begin to have accountability for this stuff. Right. 
And I, I have a feeling that stuff happens a lot more than we are all privy to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but like, I'm not, I'm not talking about arrest Bill Clinton, but I'm saying Bill Clinton needs to, you know, there needs to be an interview. There needs to be an under, like an under oath type of situation where it's like, how did you know this guy? Mm-hmm. How did, why did you think he was a good guy? Did he give you money? What, what did he give you money for? Why did you meet with him? Why did you spend time with him? And I think I saw a painting of mm-hmm. Bill Clinton in an evening gown yeah. that Jeffrey Epstein had in his house. Yeah. Oh, that was in and, his house. So I saw that. I didn't realize that was from his house. Wow. Yeah. And it's like, why That's do you think he had this? Why do you, why do you think he had this painting of you? Do you mm. think he liked you? Do you think he respected you? Do you think he was blackmailing you? I mean, you know, you need to answer all these questions. Mm-hmm. What did you know about what kind of women he was into? When did you know it? Mm-hmm. And frankly, everybody, the psychologist or psychiatrist or whoever who gave this guy, who took him off the suicide risk thing, mm-hmm. they need to be fired. They need to be mm-hmm. jailed. And they need to mm-hmm. be asked, what the hell were you thinking? Because I'm a, I'm a layman, you know? And mm-hmm. I would say this guy's still a suicide risk when he tried to commit suicide two weeks ago. Yeah, what changed? Nothing changed. Yeah, like, like, nothing like changed. his situation is only worse than it was before. Like, it, it's not like he's less of a risk now than before. This like, is, it's like, yeah. This is this is the number one inmate, and he's a scumbag, right? He did some mm-hmm. shitty things, and for his own life, mm-hmm. I don't give a shit. But uh, he's the number one inmate in America that you need to keep alive. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't give a shit if he's uncomfortable that you're waking him up every 15 minutes to check that he's not dead yet. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I don't care what his lawyer says. He needs to be on suicide watch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I I just arrest the people in the jail, arrest the warden of the jail or whoever. Mm -hmm. Arrest. I mean, just put them all in jail until somebody starts squealing. If there's a conspiracy, they're going to somebody's going to start talking. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you know, Bill Richardson or whoever we just talked about a few weeks yep. ago with the North Remember Korea that. thing and all this mm-hmm. stuff, New Mexico or whatever. Like he, his name was on a list. Somebody mentioned his name. Round him up. I don't give a shit. Round everybody up. Yeah, that was in the um, court documents that were released, unsealed, and there was a bunch of exculpatory uh, things that were uh unmasked and i that believe that was like the same weekend that this happened too so people were hypothesizing that that was real related to the suicide because that all came out so yeah and i think there's more to come out too coming down the road so yeah yeah a lot of a lot of bad stuff there and you know I just think it's we've we've always had this kind of this two tiered justice system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why, you know, things need to change. Like, you know. You know, Barack Obama, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Uh, I mean, you know, these guys are not going to get wrapped up in any kind of wacky shit like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Mitt Romney, I mean, probably wouldn't, you know, get wrapped <laughs> up in anything too crazy like this. I mean, John McCain. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there there are reasonable people in the political sphere who don't go go in for this uh, skeezy shit, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. For sure. Anyways, I don't know. Yeah, the economy's about to crash. You know, probably a bunch of high-powered pedophiles in in both parts of government and including international are going to get away. And uh, you know, 
<laughs> whatever's going on, all, all that stuff. Okay, so that's the background, but I guess we got to talk about the the debate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, um, well, one thing I noted was that just from the very beginning, when they first came out on the stage, Joe Biden said to uh, said to Kamala Harris, "Go easy on me, kid." <laughs> really, I didn't catch that. That's funny. Uh, yeah, we should probably say yeah. who who all was there first. Okay, so this is CNN debate night two, Detroit, Michigan. Uh, what is it? July thirty first, twenty nineteen. Mm. So, <clears throat> and we had uh, Bill De Blasio, mayor of New York City, Michael Bennett, a Colorado senator, mm-hmm. uh, annoying man, uh, Jay Inslee, governor of Pennsylvania, Kirsten Gillibrand, governor of New York, Tulsi Gabbard, congresswoman from Hawaii. Julian Castro, uh, Obama's HUD secretary, Housing and Urban Development. I think that's – isn't that where Ben Carson is these days? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We had Andrew Yang, Andrew Yang, the entrepreneur, um, Cory Booker, senator from New Jersey, Kamala Harris, senator from California, and Joe Biden, former senator and vice president. Mm-hmm. I think you said the 21st. I think it was the 31st. 30. Oh, did the, I say the, the 21st? Yeah, you said the 21st. It was 31st. We're only two and a half weeks late. We're not three. <laughs> <laughs> time, Bob, time is a flat circle. Yeah, yeah you know it. <laughs> <laughs> so I think um, Bill de Blasio came out swinging in his opening statement. Let's start with opening statements. You will each receive one minute. Mayor Bill de Blasio, please begin. To the working people of America, tonight I bring you a message of hope. We can make change in this country. I know from personal experience it can be done. When I became the mayor of the nation's largest city, I set us on a path of bold change. They said it couldn't be done, but we gave pre-K to every child for free. We got rid of stop and frisk and we lowered crime. We raised the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Yes, it can be done. Now, tonight, we have to get to the heart and soul of who we are as Democrats. There are good people on this stage, but there are real differences. Joe Biden told wealthy donors that nothing fundamentally would change if he were president. Kamala Harris said she's not trying to restructure society. Well, I am. For 40 years, working people have taken it on the chin in this country. For 40 years, the rich have gotten richer, and they paid less and less in taxes. It cannot go on this way. When I'm president, we will even up the score, and we will tax the hell out of the wealthy to make this a fairer country and to make sure it's a country that puts working people first. Thank you, Mayor de Blasio. Senator Michael Bennett. Thank you. Last week, I saw one of those Trump signs that says, America, love it or leave it. And it was on the outside of a church. I love America, and I know we can make it better. Before coming to the Senate, I ran a large urban school district where most of the kids live in poverty. Those kids have exactly the same hopes that I had. Their parents have exactly the same hopes for them that my parents had for me and that Susan and I have for our three children. 
But for the last three years, we've been consumed by a president who frankly doesn't give a damn about your kids or mine. Mr. President, kids belong in classrooms, not cages. And they deserve something better than a bully in the White House. Let's end this three-ring circus in Washington. And, make, and let's make this election about reclaiming our future for our kids and our democracy. Empty promises won't beat Donald Trump. I can. Governor Jay Inslee. Good evening. Uh, I'm Jay Inslee. I am running for president because the people in this room and the Democrats watching tonight are the last best hope for humanity on this planet. If, if we make defeating the climate crisis the top priority of the United States, we will have a fighting chance to save ourselves and our children's future. It has to be our top priority. My plan is one of national mobilization quickly bringing 100% clean energy to Americans, creating 8 million good union jobs. This is a big, bold, ambitious plan for clean energy for a big, bold, ambitious nation. Middle ground approaches are not enough. We must confront the fossil fuel industry. I've been working on this for 25 years, and now we know this. We are at a tipping point. And whether we shrink from this challenge or rise to it is the vital question of our time. We Democrats believe we can still do big things in this nation. We can defeat the climate crisis. Let's get to work. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. <clears throat> My grandmother taught me that nothing's impossible. She spent two generations organizing women in upstate New York. My mother taught me nothing's impossible. She was one of only three women in her law school class and worked with gay couples for basic rights. If you want to get something done, just tell me it's impossible. As a freshman senator, I was told you couldn't repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Even members of my own party told me it wasn't convenient. When are civil rights ever convenient? We stood up to the Pentagon and we got it done. Not impossible. 10 years ago, I was told you couldn't pass health care for our 9-11 first responders, those heroes who raced up the towers when others were coming down. Even when Congress turned its back on them, we kept fighting. Just last week, we made the 9-11 health bill permanent. Beating Donald Trump, definitely not impossible. We need a nominee who will take on the big fights and win. We need a nominee who doesn't know the meaning of impossible. Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. I love our country. It's why I enlisted after 9-11, why I've served as a soldier for over 16 years, deployed twice to the Middle East, and serve in Congress now for almost seven years. I know what patriotism is, and I've known many great patriots throughout my life. And let me tell you this, Donald Trump is not behaving like a patriot. As president, I will bring this spirit of real patriotism to the White House, serving the interests of all Americans, not just the rich and powerful.
I'll fight for our rights and freedoms of all Americans, upholding these principles in our Constitution upon which our country was founded, fighting for justice and equality for all, fighting for every single American, regardless of race or religion, as we strive towards that more perfect union. And as presidents, I'll bring this unifying spirit of love for country and the soldiers' values of service above self to the White House, truly leading a government of, by, and for the people. Secretary Julian Castro. Thank you, uh, Dana, and good evening. You know, just a few days ago, we were reminded and inspired by our fellow Americans in Puerto Rico that public service is not fundamentally about any of us. It's about you and your family. I want you to know that if I'm elected president, that I will work hard every single day so that you and your family can have good health care when you need it, so that your children and grandchildren can get a good education, so that they can reach their dreams, and that you can have good job opportunities, whether you live here in a big city like Detroit or in a small town in our country. I know we have a wonderful, special nation, but that too many people are struggling. And I know what that's like, too. You know, I grew up with a single mom in a poor neighborhood. But like many of you, I don't want to make America anything again. I don't want us to go backward. We're not going back to the past. We're not going back where we came from. We're going to move forward. We're going to make America better than it's ever been in the years to come. Let's do that together. Andrew Yang. If you've heard anything about me and my campaign, you've heard that someone is running for president who wants to give every American $1,000 a month. I know this may sound like a gimmick, but this is a deeply American idea from Thomas Paine to Martin Luther King to today. Let me tell you why we need to do it and how we pay for it. Why do we need to do it? We already automated away millions of manufacturing jobs, and chances are your job could be next. If you don't believe me, just ask an auto worker here in Detroit. How do we pay for it? Raise your hand in the crowd if you've seen stores closing where you live. It is not just you. Amazon is closing 30% of America's stores and malls and paying zero in taxes while doing it. We need to do the opposite of much of what we're doing right now, and the opposite of Donald Trump is an Asian man who likes math. So let me share the math. $1,000 a month for every adult would be $461 million every month right here in Detroit alone. The automation of our jobs is a central challenge facing us today. It is why Donald Trump is our president, and any politician not addressing it is failing the American people. Senator Cory Booker. Thank you, Dana. Last week, the president of the United States attacked an American city, calling it a disgusting, rat-infested, rodent mess. We need a nation that understands that these tired, old language, the... Stand by, Senator. I will stand by. Please stand by. Please continue, Sen Senator. Thank you very much. Donald Trump from Charleston to 
Baltimore to even the border is using the tired old language of demagogues, of fear mongers, of racists to try to divide our country against itself. We know who Donald Trump is, but in this election, the question is, who are we as a people? We have serious problems in America. We have deep wounds and seriously deeply rooted challenges. We desperately need to heal as a nation and move forward. Because we know in this country that our fates are united, that we have a common destiny. The call of this election is the call to unite in common cause and common purpose. That's how we will beat Donald Trump. That's how I will beat Donald Trump. And as your president, that's how I will govern and move us forward together. Senator Kamala Harris. This is an inflection moment in the history of our country. I think we all know that. This is a moment in time that is requiring us each as individuals and collectively to look in a mirror and ask a question. That question being, who are we? And I think most of us know that part of the answer to that question is we are better than this. So this then becomes a moment that we must fight for the best of who we are. And fight, of course, we will. And this is not a new fight for us as Americans. We have always been prepared to fight for our ideals. We have always been a nation that fights for the best of who we are. And I'll tell you, I come from fighters. My parents met when they were active in the civil rights movement. My sister Maya and I joke, we grew up surrounded by a bunch of adults who spent full time marching and shouting about this thing called justice. And I am prepared to march with you, to fight with you for the best of who we are and to successfully prosecute the case of four more years of Donald Trump and against him. <laughs> Vice President Joe Biden. Tonight, uh, I think Democrats are expecting some uh, engagement here, and I expect we'll get it. Um, I'm running for president to restore the soul of this country. You know, uh, we have a president, as everybody's acknowledged here, every day is ripping at the social fabric of this country. But no one man has the capacity to rip that apart. It's too strong. We're too good. Just look at this stage made up of very diverse people from diverse backgrounds, went on to be mayors, senators, governors, congresswomen, members of the cabinet, and yes, even a vice president. Mr. President, this is America, and we are strong and great because of this diversity, Mr. President, not, not in spite of it, Mr. President. So, Mr. President, let's get something straight. We love it. We are not leaving it. We are here to stay, and we're certainly not going to leave it to you. <clears throat> and he was one of the ones I made notes on. He just he said, I'm the mayor of the biggest city or something like that or something. And it's mm -hmm. like, that's obviously a swing at uh, at uh, our boy from Indiana, <laughs> Buttigieg. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm from a bigger city, mayor. And then he <laughs> said, I think he took some swings at uh, Biden and some other people there. Uh, you're taking wild swings at everybody. It was like, it was wild. I don't blame him. He has to, right? He has to get on the map somehow. Yep. 
Um, Andrew Yang said, Andrew Yang said the, um, the opposite of Donald Trump is an Asian man who likes math. Okay. I've heard that line before from him. I thought he had a stronger performance overall than he'd had previously. So, okay. Yeah. Um, let me see. What is Cory Booker? Yeah. When, when Cory Booker was talking, there were some chanters chanting something. There were some protesters or whatever. And honestly, I, they had some that, bad audio. Yeah, I looked that up after. I think that might have been a holdover from Bill de Blasio this time because he got shouted down, too. And I think that was related to the Eric Garner case because they had just uh, decided not to prosecute federally. Uh, Daniel Pantaleo, the guy that choked him to death. And then I think the protesters were imploring de Blasio to fire Pantaleo, I think was the thing they were asking for. But I don't know why they were doing that during Cory Booker's time, but... Well, New Jersey's close to New York. I guess so. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, my, my first notes are from healthcare, and I've got to admit, I took these notes, you know, a while ago, so it's, I'm kind of going in blind here. <laughs> <laughs> this this may make for interesting interesting listening for our audience or it may make for terrible listening i'm not really sure <laughs> we're trying something new here on the pod tonight yeah well hopefully by the next debate next month we'll uh be able to get it closer because this will be one stage hopefully hopefully no one else will qualify <laughs> yeah yeah they gotta gotta start narrowing it down i heard hickenlooper dropped out a day or two ago or something yeah. so yeah he needed, That's good. he needed to. Yeah, he. I, I want him running for Senate, though. Good, good for him. Run for Senate. Win the Senate. <laughs> yeah. Now we just need uh, oh, what's the Beto O'Rourke to do it too. Mm. You think Beto needs to drop out next? <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's, uh, he's, <laughs> you know, he's he's coming out strong for El Paso, which is respectable, but you know, that's, I don't know. I think, you know, think globally, act locally and all that. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, he's not going to win, right? I mean, we all know that. He's not going to yeah. win. Yeah, yeah. He, he would be more useful taking down John Cornyn in the Senate. So. Yeah, and I, I, I think I heard that there's another senator running in in Texas or something, so he might be bumping out another Senate candidate. But for I real. don't know much. I don't know who the other Senate candidate is, and the fact that I don't know who they are. <laughs> probably means that Beto has a better chance locally. So I don't know. Okay, so the first topic was health care. Senator Harris, this week you released a new health care plan, which would preserve private insurance and take 10 years to phase in. Vice President Biden's campaign calls your plan, quote, a have it every which way approach and says it's just part of a confusing pattern of equivocating about your health care stance. What do you say to that? Well, they're probably confused because they've not read it. But the reality is that I have been spending time in this campaign listening to American families, listening to experts, listening to health care providers. And what I came away with is a very clear understanding that I needed to create a plan that was responsive to the needs of the American people, responsive to their needs, understanding that insurance companies have been jacking up the prices for far too long, that American families have to be held down by deductibles and co-pays and, 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 and premiums that can cause them bankruptcy. 
I listened to the American families who said four years is just not enough to transition into this new plan, so I devised a plan where it's going to be 10 years of a transition. I listened to American families who said, I want an option that will be under your Medicare system that allows a private plan. So I designed a plan where, yes, responsive to the needs of American families, there will be a public plan under my plan for Medicare and a private plan under my plan for Medicare. Because the bottom line is this. We must agree that access to health care must be a right and not just a privilege of those who can afford it. And in America today, far too many people, in fact, 30 million people, Thank you, are going without access to health care. Thank you, Senator Harris. Vice President Biden, your response. Well, my response is that uh, the senators had several plans so far. And uh, anytime someone tells you you're going to get something good in 10 years, you should wonder why it takes 10 years. If you notice, there's no talk about the fact that the plan in 10 years will cost $3 trillion. You will lose your employer-based insurance. And in fact, you know, this is the single most important issue facing the public. And to be very blunt and to be very straightforward, you can't beat President Trump with double talk on this plan. Your response, Senator Harris? Absolutely. Unfortunately, Vice President Biden, you're just simply inaccurate in what you're describing. The reality is that our plan will bring health care to all Americans under a Medicare for All system. Our plan will allow people to start signing up on the first day. Babies will be born into our plan, and right now, four million babies almost are born every day in America, or every year in America. Under our plan, we will ensure that everyone has access to health care. Your plan, by contrast, leaves out almost 10 million Americans. So I think that you should really think about what you're saying, but be reflective and understand that the people of America want access to health care and do not want cost to be their barrier to getting it. Senator Harris, thank you. Vice President Biden, your response? The plan, no matter how you cut it, costs $3 trillion when it is, in fact, employed. Number one, 10 years from now, after two terms of the senator being president, after her time. Secondly, it will require middle class taxes to go up, not down. Thirdly, it will eliminate employer-based insurance. And fourthly, what happens in the meantime? I'd like to respond. First of all, the cost of doing nothing is far too expensive. Second, we are now paying $3 trillion a year for health care in America. Over the next 10 years, it's probably going to be $6 trillion. We must act. My plan is about immediately allowing people to sign up and get into coverage. Right now in America, we have seniors who every day, millions of seniors, are going into the Medicare system. And they are getting full coverage and the kind of coverage they need. All people should have access to health care, and, and costs should Thank not you, be there. Thank you, Senator barrier. Harris. Mayor de Blasio, let's bring you in here. What's your response? Thank you. I don't know what the vice president and the senator are talking about. The folks I talk to about health insurance say that their health insurance isn't working for them. There's tens of millions of Americans who don't even have health insurance, tens of millions more who have health insurance they can barely make work because of the co-pays, the deductibles, the premiums, the out-of-pocket expenses. There's this mythology that somehow all these folks are in love with their insurance in America. What I hear from union members and from hardworking middle class people is they wish they had better insurance. And they're angry at private insurance companies that skim all the profits off the top 
and make it impossible for everyday people to get coverage like mental health care, Thank you, dental Mr. Mayor. care, the things that would be full coverage Thank for you, all Thank you, Mr. Americans. Mayor. Vice President Biden, you just heard Mayor de Blasio, he said in the past that Democrats who want to keep the private insurance industry are defending a health care system that is not working. What's your response? My response is Obamacare is working. The way to build this and get to it immediately is to build on Obamacare. Go back and do take take back all the things that Trump took away. Provide a public option, meaning every single person in America would be able to buy another option if they didn't like their employer plan or if they're on Medicaid, they'd automatically be in the plan. It would be take place immediately. It would move quickly, and it would ensure the vast, vast, vast majority of Americans. In the meantime, what happens? Did anybody tell you how much their plans cost? My plan cost seven hundred and fifty billion dollars. That's what it costs, not $30 trillion. Thank you, Mr. Vice President. Senator Gillibrand, you support Medicare for all. How do you feel about Senator Harris continuing to call her health proposal Medicare for all when it includes a far more significant role for private insurance than the bill you co-sponsored? I think for the viewers in the audience right now, they're at risk of losing the forest through the trees because the truth is health care in America should be a right when I was a young mother and had Theo as an infant, he had an allergic reaction to eggs and his whole body turned red and puffy. I had to rush him to the emergency room. My heart is palpitating because I'm worried that his throat will close. I am not worried about not having an insurance card or a credit card in my wallet. I know whatever they're going to prescribe, whether it's an EpiPen or an inhaler, I can afford it. The truth about healthcare in America today is people can't afford it. They cannot afford it. And the insurance companies for these plans that rely on insurance companies, I'm sorry, they're for-profit companies. They have an obligation to their shareholders. They pay their CEO millions of dollars. They have to have quarterly profits. They have fat in the system that's real, and it should be going to health care. So let's not lose the forest for the trees. And last, let's not forget what the Republicans are doing. Because the truth is, the Republicans and Trump, their whole goal is to take away your health care. Thank you. To make it harder for you to afford it, Thank even you, if Senator you have pre-existing conditions. Senator Harris, your response. In response to Senator Biden about the Affordable Care Act, uh, it is important that you understand that our Medicare for All plan has actually, by the architect of the Obama Affordable Care Act, been described as one of the most effective ways to bring health care to all. Kathleen Sebelius has endorsed our plan as being something that will get us to where we need to go. In terms of the point that, that Senator Gillibrand is raising, I couldn't agree more. Senator Biden, your plan will keep and allow insurance companies to remain with status quo, doing business as usual. And that's going to be about jacking up co-pays, jacking up deductibles. You, it will still be the situation you, that Harris, people going Vice to an emergency room have to come out $5,000. My plan makes the limit of copay to be $1,000 because we, we further support the, uh, the, the, the ability to buy into the Obamacare plan. Secondly, the idea that this is somehow a bad idea, no one has to keep their private insurance. But they, if they would like their insurance, they should be able to keep it. Nothing is demanded in my plan that there be private insurance. It says if the 160 million people who have it say they like their employer insurance, they should have a right to have it. If they don't, they can buy into the Biden plan, which is Obamacare. Thank you, Mr. The Vice President. Thank you. Senator Booker, let me bring you in here. 
You say you support Medicare for all. You also say you are not going to pull private health insurance from more than 150 million Americans in exchange for a government plan. But that's what Medicare for all would do. So how do you square that? Well, first of all, let me just say that the person that's enjoying this debate most right now is Donald Trump, as we pit Democrats against each other while he is working right now to take away Americans' health care. There is a court case working through the system that's going to gut the Affordable Care Act and actually gut protections on pre-existing conditions. And so I was raised by two civil rights parents who told me to always keep your eyes on the prize. And that is that in the United States of America, every Democrat should stand with the belief that everyone should have access to health care, that it's a human right. And how we get there, it has to be to end this broken system because we are on our way in just a handful of years of literally spending 20% of our economy, one out of every $5 spent on health care. And we spend more than every other nation on everything from MRIs to insulin drugs, multiple more than other countries, multiple more than other countries. And so you want to know what I'm going to do? I'm going to work to get us to a point where Medicare for all, where everyone is covered. But this pitting against progressives, against moderates, saying one is unrealistic and the other doesn't care enough, that to me is dividing our party and demoralizing us in face of the real enemy here. Thank and you, I'm Senator. going to keep fighting for that. Enemy. Thank you, Senator Booker. Congressman Gabbard, what's your response? The reality is right now we don't have a health care system. We have a sick care system, and there are far too many people in this country who are sick and unable to get the care that they need because they cannot afford it. So the core of this problem is the fact that big insurance companies and big pharmaceutical companies who've been profiting off the backs of sick people have had a seat at the table writing this legislation. Now, Kamala Harris just talked about Kathleen Sebelius, who helped write her bill. This just pointed to the fatal flaw in her proposal. Sebelius works for Medicare Advantage, private insurance company who will stand to profit under her plan. If we're seeking to really reform our healthcare system, we've got to shut out big insurance and big pharma out of the drafting process so they cannot continue to profit off the backs of the sick people in this country who are searching and in desperate need of care. Senator Harris, your response? Well, unfortunately, Representative Gabbard got it wrong. Uh, Kathleen Sebelius did not write my plan. She endorsed it as being one of the plans that is the best to get us to a place where everyone is going to have access to health care in America. And when we talk about this again, I, I, I'm going to go back to Vice President Biden, because your plan does not cover everyone in America by your staffs and your own definition. Ten million people as many as 10 million people will not have access to health care. And in 2019 in America, for a Democrat to be running for president with a plan that does not cover everyone, I think is without excuse. Our plan covers Thank everyone you, and gives people choice. Thank you, Senator. Vice President Biden, your response. What plan does cover, will cover everyone, number one. Number two, the fact is that my plan also calls for controlling drug prices. The biopharma is now where things are going to go. It's no longer chemicals. It's about all these breakthroughs we have with the whole, dealing with the whole, excuse me, immune system. And what we have to do now is we have to have a form that sits in the HHS and says, as you develop a drug, you've got to come to us and decide what you can sell it for. We will set the price. And secondly, it says that you cannot raise that price beyond the cost of inflation from this point on. Thank to you, Mr. The President. Um, let's see. Harris said 
Biden's plan doesn't cover 10 million people. Um, 10 year transition plan, public and private. Okay, so she wants to combine public and private. And I think Harris got in some trouble for in the first debate. She pretty much signed on to most of Bernie and Warren's stuff, but then like she backtracked Back the next pedaled. day. Right. Yeah. So which is pretty cheeky, you know. You get the you get the all the news coverage and the sound bites of you, you know, going all the way on TV from the debate, and then the next day you kind of like on the back page of the newspaper you walk it mm-hmm. back, and not everybody sees that necessarily, or the people yeah. who want to see that see that, and the people who want to hear the other thing they hear the other thing. So uh, I want to bring in Senator Bennett. Uh, last night on this stage, one of your Democratic rivals suggested that running on Medicare for all would get Donald Trump reelected. Do you agree with that, sir? I, I agree that it makes it much more likely. <clears throat> Unlike others on this stage, I've been crystal clear where I've been for a decade through two tough races in Colorado. I believe we should finish the job we started with the Affordable Care Act with a public option that gives everybody in this audience the chance to pick for their family, whether they want private insurance or public insurance. It requires the drug companies to be negotiated with by Medicare, and it provides competition. That is totally different from the plan that Senator Warren and Senator Sanders and and Senator Harris have proposed, which would make illegal employer-based health insurance in this country and massively raise taxes on the middle class to the tune of $30 trillion, as, as Joe Biden said. We don't need to do that. It doesn't make sense for us to take away insurance from half the people in this room and and put huge taxes on almost everybody in this room when we can pass a public option, trust the American people to make the right decision, and have universal health care in this country in two Thank years, you, not 10 years. Secretary Castro, I want to bring you I, in. Your, I, I your, need your, to respond. Your response. I'll come to you right after okay. Secretary Castro. Secretary Castro. Well, I know that this is something very personal for all Americans. You know, I grew up with a grandmother that had diabetes, and I watched as her condition got worse and worse. That whole time, she had Medicare. I want to strengthen Medicare for the people who are on it and then expand it to anybody who wants it. I also believe, though, that if somebody has a private health insurance plan that is strong, that they want to hold on to, that they should be able to do that. What I don't believe is that the profit motive of big pharma or big insurance companies should ever determine in our great nation whether somebody gets health care or not. Thank you, Secretary Castro. Senator Harris, Senator Bennett had suggested that you support banning employer-based health insurance. Is that true? Well, first of all, with all due respect to my friend, Michael Bennett, uh, my plan does not offer anything that is illegal. Um, What it does is it separates the employer from health care, meaning that where you work will not be a the kind of health care you get will not be a function of where you work. I have met so many Americans who stick to a job that they do not like, where they are not prospering, simply because they need the health care that that employer provides. It's time that we separate employers from the kind of health care people get. And under my plan, we do that. As it relates to the insurance and the pharmaceutical companies, who will not be called in and who will not be taken to task by Senator Biden or Senator Bennett's plan, we will do that. Senator Bennett, I want to bring you back. Senator Harris is my friend as well. But I have to say, if we can't admit, if we can't admit tonight what's in the plan, which is banning employer-based insurance, we're not going to be able to admit that when Donald Trump is accusing Democrats of doing that as well. We need to be honest about what's in this plan. It bans employer-based 
insurance, and taxes the middle class to the tune of $30 trillion. Do you know how much that is? That is 70% of what the government will collect in taxes over the next 10 years. Thank we you, don't Senator. need to do that. Governor, we can have a to come to a second, but I, I do want to universal health care in this country. I do want to bring in Senator I, Harris because he just suggested you were not being honest. He, it, it, we cannot keep with the Republican talking points on this. You got to stop. The reality is that what, under my Medicare for All plan. Yes, employers are not going to be able to dictate the kind of health care that their employees get. They will be able to make that decision. Private insurance companies and private carriers, if they comply by our rules and play by our rules, will be able to offer those employees health care coverage under a private Medicare plan, or they can have the option of a public Medicare plan. But it is misleading to suggest that employees want what their employer is offering only. They want choice, and Thank my you. plan gives that to them. Thank you, Senator. Governor Inslee, I want to bring you in. You recently signed a public option into law, which allows Washington state residents to purchase a state-backed plan if they want to. but. This may only save families in Washington state as little as 5% off premiums. Is 5% really the kind of relief that the American people need? No, we need universal coverage. And I'm proud of our state that has done less squabbling and actually getting things done. And I am proud that we are the first state to offer a publicly sanctioned offer of health care to our citizens. I'm also proud that we didn't stop there. We're also the first state that has taken care of our elders, our seniors. We have a a looming retirement wave coming up. I'm proud that our state, our state has made them eligible to retire in dignity. I'm also proud of this, and I think we need to talk more about this as Democrats. It is time to give people adequate mental health care in this country. And we are, we are, we are having, uh, we've had some success in integrating mental health with physical health. There's no reason we should distinguish between your physiological and your mental health. And the last thing we're doing, I think it's very instructive for the nation. We know we're being eaten alive by pharmaceutical costs. We have had one of, if not the most innovative way to drive down pharmaceuticals for life-saving medications in the United States. That's a record of Washington State. I'd like to take to Washington, D.C. Thank you. Thank you, Governor Inslee. Uh, Mr. Yang, I want to bring you in. You support a Medicare for all system. How do you respond to Governor Inslee? Well, I just want to share a story. When I told my wife I was running for president, you know the first question she asked me? What are we going to do about our health care? That's a true story, and it's not just us. Democrats are talking about health care in the wrong way. As someone who's run a business, I can tell you flat out our current health care system makes it harder to hire. It makes it harder to treat people well and give them benefits and treat them as full-time employees. It makes it harder to switch jobs, as Senator Harris just said, and it's certainly a lot harder to start a business. If we say, look, we're going to get health care off the backs of businesses and families, then watch American entrepreneurship recover and bloom. That's the argument we should be making to the American people. Thank you, Mr. Yang. Mayor de Blasio. Yeah. I don't understand why Democrats on this stage are fear-mongering about universal health care. It makes no sense. Ask the American people. They are sick of what the pharmaceutical companies are doing to them. Ask them what they feel about the health insurance companies. They feel it's holding back their families because they can't get the coverage they need. They get a lot of no's. They don't get a lot of help from health insurance companies. Why are we not going to be the party that does something bold? 
that says we don't need to be dependent on private insurance. We can have a system that actually covers everyone. You know what? Donald Trump won this state of Michigan by saying he was going to disrupt the status quo. How about we be the party that's going to disrupt the status quo for working people? Mr. Mayor, just a 15-second just point of clarification. Who are you talking about? Who's fear-mongering? Certainly, with all due respect to Senator Bennett, what he's saying is absolutely inaccurate about taxes. Americans right now are paying so much money okay. for their health care. Ask people about the reality of premiums, deductibles, co-pays, out-of-pocket expenses. Thank That's you. worse than any tax. Thank you. And people are paying that right now. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Senator Bennett. This, this, is, this, this has nothing to do with Republic, Republican talking boards or the pharmaceutical industry. This has to do with having faith in the American people that they can make the right decisions for their families and they can choose a public option. Bernie Sanders, who said last night he wrote the damn bill and he did just like I wrote the damn public option bill, is the guy who says it'll cost $32 trillion and that, and that we're going to have to raise those taxes to pay for it. He says that. Republicans don't say it. Don't try to distract from the truth. Thank you, you can't hide from the truth. I want to let uh, Mayor de Blasio and then I'm going to come to you, Vice President Biden. Senator, if we as Democrats say we're done with private insurance that has only hurt the American people in so many ways, we're going to give them something that works for their families, full coverage that they can depend on. If we say that, then there's an election. The American people get to decide. The ultimate choice, Senator, is an election. And this should be the party that stands for universal health care and says we're not going to accept anything less. Right now in America, so many people don't have the health care they need. That is a fact. Tens of millions of people, including middle Thank class you, people, Mayor. give them a chance Thank to you, make Mr. that Mayor. decision through an election. Vice President Biden, your response, sir. This is not a Republican talking point. The Republicans are trying to kill Obamacare. Obamacare took care of 20 million people right off the bat, 100 million people with pre-existing conditions. And in fact, what we got is a public option that in fact would allow anybody to buy in. No one has to keep their private insurance. They can buy into this plan and they can buy into it at, with a thousand dollar deductible and let, never have to pay more than 8.5 percent of their income when they do it. And if they don't have any money, they'll get in free. So this idea is a bunch of malarkey, what we're talking about here. The fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, that there will be a deductible. It will be a deductible in their paycheck. Bernie acknowledges it. Bernie acknowledges it. Three for tr- thirty trillion dollars has to ultimately be paid. And I don't know what math you do in New York. I don't know what math you do anywhere in California. But I tell you, that's a lot of money. And there will be a deductible. The deductible will be out of your paycheck because that's what will be required. Senator Harris, I want to bring you in here. Your response? Yeah. Let's talk about math. Let's talk about math. Let's talk about the fact that the pharmaceutical companies and the insurance companies last year alone profited $72 billion. And that is on the backs of American families. And under your plan, status quo, you do nothing to hold the insurance companies to to task for what they have been doing to American families in America today. A diabetes patient's one in four cannot afford their insulin. In America today, Thank you, for those people who are overdosed from an opioid, there is a syringe that costs $4,000 that will save their life. It is immoral, it is Thank untenable, you, and it must change with Senator. Medicare for all. Vice President Biden, your response. Real quick. 
I have the only plan that limits the ability of insurance companies to charge unreasonable prices, flat out, number one. Number two, we should put some of these insurance executives who totally oppose my plan in jail for the nine billion opioids they sell out there. They are misrepresenting the American people what need to be done. And lastly, here's the deal. The deal is, let's figure out how this works. We immediately are able to cover everybody who wants to get off of their insurance plan they don't like, no matter what one it is, and buy into a Medicare option. And they can buy the gold plan, and they're not going to have to pay. Anyway. Yeah, it's it's interesting to watch Harris in these Democratic debates, because I always kind of like roll my eyes when she starts going at doing these things, like you said, backtracking on, on things you said and then attacking Joe Biden. But it's like, then I put her in the scenario of doing that to Trump and I'm like, all right, fine. If she wants to do that to Trump, I'm okay with it. But like, it's kind of like, it's kind of hard to see her like attacking people who she mostly agrees with. You know what I mean? Or like, you know, uh, doing these wishy-washy things on policy. But, you know, if it, if it gets us over the hump in the, in the general, I'm, I'm fine with it actually. <laughs> I like her prosecutorial style, and that would be interesting to watch her going up against Trump. So, assuming he agrees to debate, you could always just say he's not. But <laughs> yeah, no, I I think I, I don't know. I think well, we'll see. In the general, I mean, it doesn't really matter who wins or loses debates. I mean, you know, no. I mean, not at this point. How many times did George W. Bush get his clock cleaned? Yeah, forgot so. about Poland. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so. Let's see. Biden says anytime someone tells you you're going to get something uh, good in 10 years, you should wonder why it takes 10 years. So he's talking about Harris and he says, oh, it costs three trillion, yada, yada, yada. It's too much, apparently. Mm. He says his plan costs seven hundred and fifty billion dollars. Gillibrand seemed to support Harris. She said insurance Mm -hmm. companies are profiteering. Um, <clears throat> de Blasio says everybody's talking about like how much they like their private insurance, but actually I talk to people, including unions and people actually aren't satisfied. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, Bennett is fear mongering. Uh, Bennett said Medicare for all makes it more likely that Trump will be reelected. We need, we need the ACA Obamacare plus a public option. Uh, so to that de Blasio said he's fear mongering. Um, let's see. Gabbard said, get the, get the profit interests out of the, out of the uh, process, which is, you know, right. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Castro said, expand Medicare, give people option to buy in. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't really note what Inslee said. Uh, Yang Probably said Medicare for all. Change. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yang said Medicare for all. So anyways, that was healthcare. Yeah. Um, you know, healthcare is important. It's important and it's important to people and it's important to me and it's important to everybody in my family, I imagine. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you talk about, you know, fascism in America, you talk about, you know, climate change, global warming and all this stuff that's happening. You know, this year was this, this past month was the hottest month ever in history. And the previous four were like the previous four years before that. I mean, you know, chunks of ice are falling into the water and those are not going to refreeze and stuff. And I mean, yeah, yes, American healthcare is important, but we're talking about like, you know, extinction level events here. And we're talking mm-hmm. about, <clears throat> you know, I mean, my God, after the last economic crisis, 
you know, America wouldn't give Obama a chance to fix things. And then once he was halfway there to fixing and they elected Trump, I, I don't know if the people of the world can stand another another economic crash here. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So <clears throat> I think like people say that healthcare is important to them and it is important and everybody has a right to it and everything. But um, I do think like everybody's kind of whistling past the graveyard on some bigger issues out there. Yeah, I think you're probably right. So um, the next issue is immigration. Um, Let's move now to immigration, please. Secretary Castro, you think it should no longer be a crime to cross the U.S. border illegally. President Obama's Homeland Security Secretary, Jay Johnson, whom you served with, says that is a public dec declaration that the border is, quote, effectively open to all. How is he wrong? Thank you for that question. You know, if you elect me president, you're not electing me to follow. You're electing me to lead. And open borders is a right-wing talking point. And frankly, I'm disappointed uh, that some folks, including some folks on this stage, have taken the bait. The only way that we're going to guarantee that we don't have family separations in this country again is to repeal Section 1325 of the Immigration Nationality Act. That is the law that this president, this administration is using to incarcerate migrant parents and then physically separate them from their children. My immigration plan would also make sure that we put undocumented immigrants who haven't committed a serious crime on a pathway to citizenship, that we do a 21st century Marshall Plan with Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala so that we can get to the root of this challenge so people can find safety and opportunity at home instead of having to come to the United States. That's how we can be smarter, more effective, and more humane when it comes to immigration policy. Thank you, Secretary Castro. Senator Bennett, what's your response? I, I, di I disagree that we should decriminalize our border. This is personal for me. My mom's an immigrant, and she was separated from her parents during the Holocaust in Poland. Uh, and for those reasons, I was part of the Gang of Eight that wrote, I wrote, the immigration bill in 2013 with John McCain that passed the Senate with 68 votes, that gave a pathway to citizenship for the 11 million undocumented people that are here, that would pass the most progressive Dream Act that had ever been conceived much less passed on the floor of the Senate, and had $46 billion of border security. Every single Democrat voted for that bill. Senator, and a lot of Republicans. That should be our thank you. position. Thank you, Senator. That is our position thank you, Senator. as Democrats. Senator Harris, you have indicated that you don't think it should be a, a criminal offense punishable by jail to cross the U.S. border illegally. How do you respond to Senator Bennett? Well, again, I'd with all due respect, you know, I, after the last debate, for example, I went to a place in Florida called Homestead. And um, there is a private detention facility being paid for by your taxpayer dollars. A private detention facility that currently houses 2,700 children. And by the way, there were members of us, um, uh, Julian was there, members of Congress. They would not let us enter the place, members of the United States Congress. So I walked down the road, I climbed a ladder, and I looked over the fence. And I'm going to tell you what I saw. I saw children lined up single file based on gender being walked into barracks. 
The policies of this administration have been facilitated by laws on the book Thank that you, allow Senator. them to be incarcerated as though they've committed crimes. Thank These you, children have not Thank committed you, crimes Harris. and should be not treated like criminals. Senator Bennett, what's your response? I think this is one in the end that we agree with. There's not a single person on this uh, stage who, if we were president, would ever separate a child from their parents at the border. And that is what this, that is what this administration has done in the American people's name. They have turned our border into a symbol of nativist hostility. The symbol of this country before Donald Trump was president was the Statue of Liberty. That should be the symbol of the United States of America, not Donald Trump's terrible Thank you, Senator Bennett. Senator Gillibrand, I'm going to bring you in. What's your response? So I think when you talk about whether this should be a crime, you have to remember who we're talking about. When I was at the Texas border, I visited with women who had fled violence. A woman from El Salvador owned a small business. Gangs came to her and said, if you don't give us all your money, we're going to kill your family. That's why she fled. Another woman was raped. That's why she fled. So this is who we're talking about, and they're not criminals. So I believe that we should have a civil violation. No president before President Trump enforced the law in the way he has enforced it, because he's using it as the crutch to lock up women and children, to separate mothers and babies, to put them behind bars. So I don't think we should have a law on the books that can be so misused. It should be a civil violation, and we should make sure that we treat people humanely. Thank you, Senator. Vice President Biden. In the first two years of the Obama administration, nearly 800,000 immigrants were deported, far more than during President Trump's first two years. Would the higher deportation rates resume if you're president? Absolutely not, number one. Number two, everything landed on the president's despot locus. I found that, Julian, excuse me, the secretary, we sat together in many meetings. I never heard him talk about any of this when he was the secretary. Please be respectful. Please be respectful in the crowd. Please continue, Mr. Vice President. The fact is, the fact is, I don't know if you can hear, I can hear, but anyway. We can hear fine, Mr. Vice President. Please continue if you will. The fact is, what the senator from New York talked about is seeking asylum. That woman, the women she spoke to are entitled to asylum. That is not crossing the border illegally. What we should do is flood the zone to make sure we have people to make those decisions quickly. With regard to, with regard to the secretary's point, I already proposed and passed $750 million for Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras to be able to change the circumstance why people fled in the first place. In addition to that, we're in a circumstance where if, in fact, you say you can just cross the border, what do you say to all those people around the world who, in fact, want the same thing to come to the United States and make their case, but they don't, that they have to wait in line? The fact of the matter is you should be able to if you cross the border illegally, you should be able to be sent back. It's a crime. It's a crime, and it's not one that, in fact... Thank, thank you, Mr. Vice President. Secretary Castro, please, yeah, your response. Uh, first of all, Mr. Vice President, it looks like one of us has learned the lessons of the past, and one of us hasn't. Let me begin by telling you... Let me just start out by answering that question. My immigration plan would also fix the broken legal immigration system, because we do have a problem with that. 
Secondly, the only way that we're going to guarantee that these kinds of family separations don't happen in the future is that we need to repeal this law. There's still going to be consequences if somebody crosses the border. It's a civil action. Also, we have 654 miles of fencing. We have thousands of personnel at the border. We have uh, planes, we have Secretary, boats, we have helicopters, we have security Secretary cameras. Castro, what we need you. are politicians that actually up. have some guts on this issue. Thank you, Secretary. Mr. Vice President, please, your response. I have guts enough to say his plan doesn't make sense. Here's the deal. The fact of the matter is that, in fact, when people cross the border illegally, it is illegal to do it unless they're seeking asylum. People should have to get in line. That's the problem. And the only reason this particular part of the law is being abused is because of Donald Trump. We should defeat Donald Trump and end this practice. Thank you. Congresswoman Gabbard, what's your response? Our hearts break when we see those children at these detention facilities who've been separated from their parents, when we see human beings crowded into cages in abhorrent, inhumane conditions. This is about leadership and understanding that we can and should have both secure borders as well as humane immigration policies. We will have to stop separating children from their parents, make it so that it's easier for people to seek asylum in this country, make sure that we are securing our borders and making it so that people are able to use our legal immigration system by reforming those laws. Mr. Yang, your response. I'm the son of immigrants myself. My father immigrated here as a graduate student and generated over 65 US patents for GE and IBM. I think that's a pretty good deal for the United States. That's the immigration story we need to be telling. We can't always be focusing on some of the, 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 the distressed stories. And if you go to a factory here in Michigan, you will not find wall-to-wall -wall immigrants. You will find wall-to-wall -wall robots and machines. Immigrants are being scapegoated for issues they have nothing to do with in our economy. Thank you, Mr. Yang. Castro, again, repeal Section 1325, the section that criminalizes border crossing instead of treating it as a civil offense. I thought it was 1328. Uh, I think it's 1325. Double check that. and Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's 1325. Oh, no, you're, you're, you're right, 1325. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've checked that one a couple times just to kind of make mm -hmm. sure I'm somewhat up on it. So I'm yep. pretty sure. Um, and Castro says open borders is a right wing talking point. Um, he was part of the gang of eight. No, no. Bennett was part of the gang of eight. Mm -hmm. Bennett disagrees with decriminalizing border crossing. Um, again, Bennett is clearly coming at things from a much more centrist slash right wing mm -hmm. direction angle. Oh, for sure. Uh, <clears throat> Harris said something I didn't really make notes on. Uh, Gillibrand agrees it should be a civil violation, not a criminal violation. Senator Booker, you have a plan that would, quote, virtually eliminate immigration detention. Does that mean that the roughly 55,000 migrants currently in detention would be released into the United States? I, I, well, first of all, I just want to say, again, tonight, we are playing into Republican hands who have a very different view, and they're trying to divide us against each other. I'm listening to the language of my colleagues. No, Mr. Vice President, we are not going to just let people cross the border. An unlawful crossing 
is an unlawful crossing if you do it in the civil courts or if you do it through the criminal courts. But the criminal courts is what is giving Donald Trump the ability to truly violate the human rights of people coming to our country who no one surrenders their human rights. And so doing it through the civil courts means that you won't need these awful detention facilities that I've been to, seeing children sleeping on pavement, people being put in cages, nursing mothers, small children. This is not necessary. We have seen, using the civil system, piloted programs that have 100% compliance with the civil courts, where people are evaluated. If they have no justifiable reason to be here, they are returned. If they are, like the people I met in Juarez, who were survivors of sexual assault, who we wouldn't even let come and present for asylum. We are butchering our values Senator, and making ourselves Senator Booker, thank safe. you very much. Mr. Vice President, your response. I agree with the senator. The asylum process is a real process, and this president is ruining it. It has nothing to do with that section of the law. That's what he's doing, number one. Number two, we should, in fact, and we have proposed and we tried to get past in our administration, I propose, significantly increasing the number of legal immigrants who are able to come. This country can tolerate a heck of a lot more people. And the reason we're the country we are is we've been able to cherry pick from the best of every culture. Immigrants built this country. That's why we're so special. It took courage. It took resi resilience. It took absolute confidence for them to come. And we should be encouraging Thank people. You. And by the way, anybody who crosses a stage with a, with, a, with a PhD should get a green card for seven years. We should Great. keep them here. Thank you. Thank I you very much, that. Mr. Vice President. Governor Inslee, what's your response? I think we're missing two central statements we need to make. Number one, we can no longer allow a white nationalist to be in the White House, number one. And number two... Number two, we have to make America what it's always been, a place of refuge. we got to boost the number of people we accept. I'm proud to have been the first governor saying, send us your Syrian refugees. I'm proud to have been the first governor to stand up against Donald Trump's Muslim ban. I'm proud to have sued him 21 times and beat him 21 times in a row. I'm ready for November 2020. Go ahead, Mayor de Blasio, please, your response. Two points. One, it's all kind of a charade because there's 11 million people here and everyone, in theory, has broken the law, but they're part of our communities now. They're part of our economy. They're our neighbors. Why are we even discussing on one level whether it's a civil penalty or a criminal penalty when it's an American reality and what we need is comprehensive immigration reform once and for all to fix it? Second, Vice President Biden, I didn't hear your response when the issue came up of all those deportations. You were Vice President of the United States. I didn't hear whether you tried to stop them or not using your power, your influence in the White House. Did you think it was a good idea or do you think it was something that needed to be stopped? Mr. The President, President came along and he's the guy that came up with the idea, first time ever, of dealing with the dreamers. He put that in the law. He had talked about a comprehensive plan, which he put on the laid before the Congress, saying that we should find a pathway to citizenship for people. We should, he said we should up the number of people that we're able to bring into this country. Lastly, he also pointed out that we should go to the source of the problem and fix it where people were leaving in the first place. So he did to compare him to Donald Trump, I think, is absolutely bizarre. Thank you very much, Mr. Vice President. Congresswoman Gabbard. You are a co-sponsor of the College for All Act, which would make public colleges and universities free for all Americans. One of the authors of that plan, Senator Sanders, believes college should be uh, tuition-free for undocumented immigrants as well. Do you? I don't. 
I think it's important for us to fix our legal immigration system and look at the millions of undocumented immigrants in this country who have been suffering as they've been living in the shadows. And instead of putting a Band-Aid on this problem, fix our legal immigration system to provide them with that pathway to legal residency or citizenship so that they are no longer treated as second-class citizens in this country. We've got to look at the challenge that people all across this country are facing under crushing student debt. This is something that is impacting my generation in a huge way, and I believe that it is our generation that has the bold, creative solutions to be able to solve it. This is about promise for our future, and we've got to make those kinds of investments. Thank you, Congresswoman. Mayor de Blasio, what's your response? Yeah, I, I agree uh, with the Congress member, but I don't hear an answer from the vice president. I'm confused. <laughs> I asked the vice president point blank, did he use his power to stop those deportations? He went right around the question. Mr. Vice President, you want to be president of the United States. You need to be able to answer the tough questions. I guarantee you, if you're debating Donald Trump, he's not going to let you off the hook. So did you say those deportations were a good idea? Or did you go to the president and say, this is a mistake, we shouldn't do it? Which one? I was vice president. I am not the president. I keep my recommendation in private. Unlike you, I expect you would go ahead and say whatever was said privately with him. That's not what I do. What I do say to you is he moved to fundamentally change the system. That's what he did. That's what he did. But much more has to be done. Much more has to I be done. I still don't hear an answer. Senator Booker, please respond. <laughs> well, a couple things. First of all, Mr. Vice President, you can't have it both ways. You invoke President Obama more than anybody in this campaign. You can't do it when it's convenient right. and then dodge it when it's not. And the second thing, and this really irks me because I, I heard the vice president say that. If you've got a Ph.D., you can come right into this country. Well, that's playing into what the Republicans want, to pit some immigrants against other immigrants. Some are from shithole countries and some are from worthy countries. We need to reform this whole immigration system and begin to be the country that says everyone has worth and dignity and this should be a country that honors for everyone. Don't let the Republicans divide this party against itself. Senator, thank you. Mr. Vice President, the your fact response. is, that's what I said about this country. We are a country of immigrants. All of us. All of us. Some here came against their will. Others came because they, in fact, thought they could fundamentally change their lives. And they did. The statue of a send us your. That's what we're talking about. That's what made us great. And the fact of the matter is, I think the president of the United States, Barack Obama, went out of his way to try to change the system, and he got pushed back significantly. Senator Gillibrand, what's your response? Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, again, uh, President Trump, under his administration, seven children died in his custody. Under, under his administration, families have been torn apart. Um, this party is talking about real ideas for the future. We're talking about what we will do to change America. But we must not forget about our values. We used to believe in this country you should treat others the way you want to be treated. We used to be, believe in this country we should care about the least among us. Let's remind the American people who we are, why are we are Democrats, and why we're running for president. Uh, Joe Biden said he wouldn't deport like Obama did. And then he said something. He said, if you have a Ph.D., you should get a seven-year green card, which mm -hmm. back away. Mm -hmm. is, uh, yeah, something. Yeah, I think like I think some people called him out on that later, which I kind of agree with. I think mm -hmm. it's not. A, I mean, how many of these people talk about like, you know, my grandfather came to this country as a poor stonemason and he didn't have 
with the shirt on his back and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, how many of these? And and then yet again, you know, they're, they'll fight Republicans by saying, no, my grandparents were my parents were immigrants and stuff. And it's like, but now he's going to talk about, oh, you have to have a Ph.D. and then we'll only give you seven years on a green card. But you have to help America with your Ph.D. Right. Like we want the smart immigrants. It's like, mm. you know, that's that's again, that's halfway over to the Republican side. So. Mm-hmm. And it's and it shouldn't be, you know, it shouldn't be about that. It's like, I mean, <clears throat> rightly or wrongly, the American economy depends on underpaid immigrant labor. And yeah, probably it's a, mess, it's a messed up system, but it's like, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, I don't know. People have pretty short sight. And then there's that Ken Cuccinelli guy uh, saying that we should change the poem on the Statue of Liberty. As long as the public charge rule has been in effect since the late 1800s, they've also been almost as long. The words at the base of the Statue of Liberty that read, Give us your tired, your poor. You were implementing a public charge rule for the first time. Is that sentiment, give us your tired, your poor, still operative in the United States? Or should those words come down? Should the plaque come down off the Statue of Liberty? Well, I, I'm certainly uh, not prepared to take anything down off the Statue of Liberty. Um, we, we, uh, we have a, a long history of being one of the most welcoming nations in the world on a lot of bases. I do not think by any means we're ready to take anything off the statute of liberty. Would you also agree that Emma Lazarus's words etched on the Statue of Liberty, give me your tired, your poor, are also part of the American ethos? Uh, they certainly are. Give me your tired and your poor who can stand on their own two feet and who will not become a public charge. Yeah. It's, uh, <clears throat> you know, the, the, the fact that the Second Amendment folks haven't risen up against the tyranny already tells you that they never will <laughs> and that they, we might as well just wrap up the damn second amendment <laughs> because like yeah they're, they're ripping up the constitution they're ripping up the you know the statue of liberty the the the, the principles of our nation like uh it's it's disgusting disgraceful mm-hmm. um let's see uh yang says machines are the problem not immigrants so once again we need to give everybody a thousand dollars a month which is you know <laughs> Which is something that he tried to bring it back to every single time, of course. Well, of course. He's kind of a we, – we, we ding Jay Inslee for being a one-trick pony, but Andrew Yang is a little bit like that, too, with that, that thing. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> um, Jay Inslee said, no longer allow a white nationalist president. Send us your Syrian refugees. <clears throat> okay. Um uh gabbard said no free college for immigrants hmm yeah i thought that was an interesting stand to take yeah we want them to come to our country but we want them to be a permanent underclass with no chance to better themselves booker says decriminalize uh border crossing let's see he said mr president you can't have it both ways you uh you oh god i can't read my own handwriting um oh ah ah, okay so he he said uh mr vice president you can't have it both ways you invoke president obama Mm -hmm. uh let's see you're gonna have to drop the audio in here because this is the part where he says you can't like you can't you can't invoke obama when it helps you and then run away from obama when it hurts you or something yeah i thought that was a pretty good line because like yeah that is kind of true i mean he does kind of run on that 
Obama glow, but then whenever it gets difficult, he's like, well, I was just the vice president, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Cory Booker also said, and he, uh, he dinged he dinged Biden on the thing about the PhD stuff. He said, uh, he said, PhD versus shithole countries is Republican framing, which is correct. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, de Blasio seemed to support Booker. He said um, he tried to put Biden on the spot a couple times there. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was an interesting little kerfuffle that they had. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this uh, I don't know when this happened. Are you going to get to the thing about the uh, op-ed from 38 years ago that Joel Grand brought up about Biden? Is that later? Um, what was the oh, – that was about women, right? Yeah. Women, let's see, race, climate crisis, economy, foreign yeah, that's policy. Yeah, that's, that's a little further down the list, I guess. But. <laughs> yeah, I mean we'll, we'll probably – yeah, we can definitely get to it. That was uh-huh. – yeah, something that happened. <laughs> yeah, I, and the frustration with these, you know, these early debates is that for a lot of these people, we have to talk about things that really don't matter and aren't going to matter. And, you know, yeah. even before they launched the attack, they probably realized it didn't really matter. Yeah. So. Exactly. Uh, I, don't, I don't think anybody really thinks that Joe Biden thinks women should stay home in 2019. Yeah, and not, like, not that yeah. not that Joe Biden is not a problematic candidate, but yeah, he is. Know. But that but don't hit him on that. There's so many things today that you could you could find issue with. that You don't need to dig up stuff from before. And like, look, if he felt that way then and he doesn't feel that way now, good. Maybe he evolved in the right way. Maybe he changed uh, for the better. And should we really be holding people to account for what they say forever and they can't change like that whole flip flopping thing? Never like. You know, you were before it. Before you were for it. Before you were against it. It's like, okay, good. Well, where are we now? Is it the right place? Well, then be quiet. <laughs> <You know>? mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely a point to be made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although I think you know, it's a fine line with flip flopping because there are definitely some flip floppers out there who. Well, I mean, you know, I think the reasoning behind it matters. You know, is it just political expedience? Is it you know, actual? You change your beliefs based on new evidence, or you know what? But. <clears throat> Let's see. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have anything else on immigration or? No, that's pretty much covers most of it. Okay. Well, the next one was criminal justice. So I want to turn now to criminal justice of Mr. Vice President. Uh, Senator Booker called your new criminal justice reform plan, quote, an inadequate solution to what is a raging crisis in our country, unquote. Why is Senator Booker wrong? Well, I don't I think he is wrong. I think we should work together. He has a similar plan. I think that we should change the way we look at prisons. Right now, we're in a situation where when someone is convicted of a, of a drug crime, they end up going to jail and to prison. They should be going to rehabilitation. They shouldn't be going to prison. When in prison, they should be learning to read and write and not just sit in there and learn how to be better criminals. And when they get out of prison, they should be in a situation where they have access to everything they would have had before, including Pell Grants for education, including making sure that they're able to have housing, public housing, including they have all the opportunities that were available to them because we want them to become better citizens. That's the essence of what my plan in detail lays out. I'm happy to discuss it more in detail if the senator want to. And so I, uh, you know, I, I, I looked at it anyway. I, that's what I think my plan, I know what my plan does, and I think it's not dissimilar to what the senator said, we should be working together on getting things done. 
Senator Booker, your response? Well, my response is that this is a crisis in our country because we have treated issues of race and poverty, mental health and addiction with locking people up and not lifting them up. And Mr. Vice President has said that since the 1970s, every major crime bill, every crime bill, major and minor, has had his name on it. And sir, those are your words, not, not mine. And this is one of those instances where the house was set on fire and you claimed responsibility for those laws. And you can't just now come out with a plan to put out that fire. We have got to have far more bold action mm -hmm. on criminal justice reform, like having you, true marijuana justice, which means Thank that we you, legalize Booker. it on a federal level Thank you, Senator and reinvest the profits in communities Thank you, that have Booker. been disproportionately targeted by Vice President Biden, Vice President Biden, I want to give you a chance to respond. The fact is that the bills that the president, that the, excuse me, the future president here, that 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 the senator is talking about, are bills that were passed years ago and they're passed overwhelmingly. Since 2007, I, for example, tried to get the crack powder cocaine totally d disparity totally eliminated. In 2007, you became mayor, and you had a police department that was. You went out and you hired Rudy Giuliani's guy. You engaged in stop and frisk. You had 75% of those stops reviewed as illegal. You found yourself in the situation where three times as many African-American kids were caught in that chain and caught up. The Justice Department came after you for saying you were, you were engaging in behavior that was inappropriate. And then, in fact, uh, and nothing happened the entire time you were mayor. Thank you, Sen uh, Senator Booker. You want to respond? Well, first of all, I'm grateful that he endorsed my presidency already. But I'll right. tell you this, it's no secret that I inherited a criminal, uh, a police department with massive problems and decades-long challenges. But the head of the ACLU has already said, um, the head of the New Jersey ACLU, that I put forth national standard-setting accountability. Mr. Time, Vice President, Mr. Vice President, I didn't interrupt you. Sorry, Please show I me that respect, sir. We have a system right now that's broken. And if you want to compare records, and frankly, I'm shocked that you do, uh, I am happy to do that. <laughs> Because all of the problems that he is talking about that he created, I actually led the bill that got passed into law that reverses the damage that your bills, that you were, frankly, to correct you, Mr. Vice President, you were bragging, calling it the Biden crime bill up till thank, 2015. Thank you, Senator. Vice President Biden. Number one, the bill he talks about is a bill that, in my, our administration, we passed. We passed that bill that you added on to. That's the bill, in mm -hmm. fact, you passed. And the fact of the matter is, secondly, the, there was nothing done for the entire eight years he was mayor. There was nothing done to deal with the police department that was corrupt. Why did you announce in the first day a zero tolerance policy of stop and frisk and hire Rudy Giuliani's guy in 2007 when I was trying to get rid of the crack cocaine uh, Mr. Vice President, there's a saying in my community, you're dipping into the Kool-Aid and you don't even know the flavor. Uh, you need to... <laughs> You need to come to the city of Newark and see the reforms that we put in place. The New Jersey head of the ACLU has said that I embraced reforms, not just in action, but in deed. Sir, you are trying to shift the view from what you created. There are people right now in prison for life for drug offenses because you stood up and used that tough on crime, phony rhetoric that got a lot of people elected, but destroyed communities like mine. This isn't about the past, sir.
This is about the present right now. I believe in Thank redemption. You, I'm happy you evolved. I want to bring in but Secretary. But you offered no redemption to the people in want, prison right now. I want to bring life. in Secretary Castro. Your response, sir? Yeah, well, I agree with Senator Booker that uh, I agree with Senator Booker that a lot of uh, what uh, Vice President um, helped author in '94 was a mistake. And he has flip-flopped on these things, and that's clear. But let me say, when we talk about criminal justice reform, there are a lot of things that we can talk about. Sentencing reform, cash bail reform, investing in public defenders, diversion programs. I'm proud that I'm the only candidate that has put forward a police reform plan. Because we have a police system that is broken, and we need to fix it. And whether it's uh, the case of someone like Tamir Rice or Michael Brown uh, or Eric Garner, where the Trump Justice Department just decided not to pursue charges. We need to ensure we have a national use of force standard and that we end qualified immunity for police officers so that we can hold them accountable for using excessive force. Thank you, force. Secretary Castro. I, 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 I want to bring in Governor Inslee. Governor Inslee, your response? Uh, let me suggest that people come out to the state of Washington and see what criminal justice reform looks like. Our effort to reduce racial disparity. I'm proud that I was the first governor to offer pardons to thousands of people with drug crimes. Now we're vacating more tens of thousands. We've eliminated the death penalty. And importantly, we've done this. When people come out of the legal system and they've done their responsibility to the citizens, we need to make sure they can get a job. We have banned the box so that people can actually get a job when they come out. And I've got to argue with my, my friend, Secretary Castro, we haven't just put forward a plan we have adopted probably one of the best police accountability measures and train our police officers in de-escalation te techniques so we have less violence. In Secretary, Secretary Castro, uh, your response to Governor Inslee? Well, that it's much more than that, because what we see, and this was a good example the other day of, of uh, the Department of Justice not uh, going after Officer Pantaleo, that, you know, Officer Pantaleo used a chokehold that was prohibited by NYPD he did that for seven seconds, 11 different times. Eric Garner said that he couldn't breathe. Uh, he knew what he was doing, that he was killing Eric Garner, and yet he has not been brought to justice. That police officer should be off the street. Mayor de Blasio, Mayor de Blasio, why is that police officer still on the force, the one who killed Eric Garner? Please well, respond. Let me tell you, I know the Garner family. They've gone through extraordinary pain. They are waiting for justice, and they're going to get justice. There's finally going to be justice. I have confidence in that in the next 30 days in New York. You know why? Because for the first time, we are not waiting on the Federal Justice Department, which told the city of New York that we could not proceed because the Justice Department was pursuing their prosecution. And years went by, and a lot of pain accrued. And in the meantime, what I'm working on is making sure, and I have for five years, there will never be another tragedy. There will never be another Eric Garner because we're changing fundamentally how we police. Thank you, Mayor. But there's one last point I have to say about the Justice Department. The Vice President, for two and a half of those years, Mr. Vice President, tell us what did you do to try and spur on the Justice Department Thank to you. act Thank you, Mayor. in the Garner Thank case. you, Mayor de Blasio. Uh, Vice President Biden, you can respond to that. We did a lot. Number one, we made sure we reduced the federal prison population by 38,000 people, number one. Number two, we, in fact, insisted that we change the rules that police engage in. They had to have, we provided for body cameras. We made sure that there were a lot of things that were changed in the process, but 38,000 people in the federal system were released under the system. And so the fact is that there's a lot we've done, but here's the deal. 
The fact is that we're talking about things that occurred a long, long time ago. And now all of a sudden, you know, I, I, I find it fascinating. Everybody's talking about how terrible I am on these issues. Barack Obama knew exactly who I was. He had, he had 10 lawyers do a background check on everything about me on civil rights and civil liberties. And he chose me and he said it was the best decision he Thank made. Thank you, Mr. I'll Vice take President. His judgment. Yeah, Mr. Yang, your response? I speak for just about everyone watching when I say I would trust anyone on this stage much more than I would trust our current president on matters of criminal justice. We cannot tear each other down. We have to focus on beating Donald Trump in 2020. I want to share a story that a prison guard, a corrections officer in New Hampshire said to me. He said, we should pay people to stay out of jail because we spend so much when they're behind bars. Right now, we think we're saving money. We just end up spending the money in much more dark and punitive ways. We should put money directly into people's hands, certainly when they come out of prison, but before they go to prison. Thank you, Mr. Yang. I want to bring in Senator Gillibrand. You heard earlier Mayor de Blasio respond to Secretary Castro on the question of why the police officer who killed Eric Gardner is still on the NYPD. Was that response adequate? Please respond. No, it's, he should be fired. He should be fired now. Gardner's mother. And I can tell you, when you've lost your son, when he begged for breath, when you know because you have a video, when you know he said, I can't breathe so many times over and over again, when you know he used an illegal chokehold, that person should be fired. And as, as I was, if I was the mayor, I'd fire him. But as president, I would make sure that we had a full investigation, that the report would be made public. And if I wasn't satisfied, we would have a consent degree. Let's see, Booker and Biden kind of went after each other here. Booker talked about true marijuana justice, which I don't know, sounds like a I don't know. I don't know. It sounds like something, doesn't it? <laughs> it sounds like a band name or a song. To, I don't know. It could be something. <laughs> In true marijuana justice for all. <laughs> like yeah, that's Metallica. Yeah. Maybe add that on the Statue of Liberty. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Um, <clears throat> Biden talked about drug crime rehabilitation. Booker talked about true marijuana justice. Um, Let's see. Biden said Obama knew exactly who I was. He had 10 lawyers do a background check on everything about me. Da, 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 da. Uh, let's see. Oh, God, this is terrible. I can't read uh, on. Oh, God, I'll take his, I'll take his judgment. Something, something. Stop. And you hired. He's like, stop. You, you did stop and frisk in New Jersey. You hired Rudy Giuliani's guys or something. Mm -hmm. I remember that. And then Booker had his famous line, you're dipping into the Kool-Aid and you don't even know the flavor <laughs> or something. It's like oh, <laughs> another one of these preloaded lines like, OK, <laughs> yeah, OK, we yes, we know, Booker, you're trying to get the African-American vote and stuff. And and like, frankly, I'd love to poll how many African-Americans are actually familiar with that expression. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, going to say, is that even I, a real a thing feeling, I'm saying anymore? <laughs> like, I'm sure all. somewhere in America, like... <laughs> New Jersey, really? I don't know, but like I'm sure somewhere in America that's a colloquialism. But yeah. I, I sincerely doubt that most African Americans were like, "Oh yeah, the good old home truth" or something, just like my grandma <laughs> told me. Or so, I, I don't think that that's a thing. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I could be wrong, but I doubt it. It, it felt kind of clunky to me. I mean, I'm what do I know? I'm a white guy from the Midwest, so who, who knows? But <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, dipping into the Kool Aid, you don't even yeah. know the flavor. Okay, I, ladies I know and gentlemen, was... can we can we just agree that Joe Biden is not lit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as we say in my community. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh boy, he's not fly fresh <laughs> to death. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Castro supported Booker. Hold police accountable. Ensley and de Blasio said things. I didn't write them down. <laughs> uh, Booker also talked about the 94 crime bill, which, you know, he said like Joe Biden was proud of it and calling it Biden's crime bill until a couple of years ago or something. It's funny, though, about the crime bill, the assault weapons ban that they always talk about wanting to reinstitute was part of that. So, you know, take the good with the bad with that one. So, yeah, politics is complicated. Mm hmm. Um, Andrew Yang said, put money in prisoners' hands when they come out. <laughs> Again, I'm sure it'll be a thousand dollars a month at a time. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. <laughs> but, Freedom dividend. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to give it to him. He's staying on message. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's see. Um, Gillibrand said, fire Eric Gardner's killer. Mm. Uh, Harris apparently also opposed federal busing. Um, so there was some complication there. Uh, Biden said Harris didn't desegregate two areas that were highly segregated of California. Again, this is one of those things where actual follow up reporting on exactly what he was talking about and what those two areas were and what their situations were would be interesting. But, you know, we don't get that in 2019. <laughs> uh, he said Google 1000 prisoners freed from Kamala Harris. Um, so I don't know. Maybe we should Google that. Um, let's see. Gabbard said Harris put 150 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. Um, she blocked evidence that would have freed an inmate from death row until the courts forced her to do so. Again, that's the thing that I'd really like to know exactly what the story was. Who was the inmate? What was the crime? What was the situation mm -hmm. there? Uh, I'm looking on politic, excuse me, PolitiFact now, and uh, they're marking the thousand prisoner thing mostly true. Hmm. So. Okay. I'll have to research the other one, but yeah, yeah, it's these these things that they just throw out. It's like, well, uh, what what was the thing that that she said again? The um. She she kept some. She prevented the release of evidence that would have freed somebody from death row until the courts forced her to release the evidence. Yeah, said that, that about Harris. Yeah. Right. Well, I do. I do know the source of the laughing about smoking weed one because she was on uh, the Breakfast Club Breakfast radio Club. show, yep. and uh, they asked her about it. And I'll probably find the audio. And she said she was listening to Snoop Dogg. What were you what listening to when you was high? Uh, <laughs> what was on? What song was? was oh my goodness! Oh yeah, definitely Snoop. Uh huh. Uh, Tupac, Tupac for sure. But then people like matched up when she was in college and it's like Snoop Dogg wasn't out then so or it's like whatever artist she said she was listening to like rap artists while she was like smoking weed in college was not uh, an artist that was producing music while she was in college or something it was like she she was just like obviously making up a story to like seem like yeah I inhaled or whatever like yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's but, I... but that's another another level of it but yeah um Looking on PolitiFact now for this one, 
uh, Tulsi Gabbard and Harris. Uh, let's see. Death Row. Yeah, Death Row. Looking up here. Hold on. Speaking of Snoop Dogg. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's complicated, I guess. It's kind of partially true and partially not. But yeah, I'll have to do some more reading on that. But yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, Bennett said, fix the schools to fix the prisons. Inslee said, get rid of the filibuster. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't actually remember what that was in reference to, actually. But yeah, those are the things that they said. Um, let's see. On race, I don't know. The only noteworthy thing I thought was Gillibrand saying, I'll explain white privilege. <laughs> uh, oh boy we know mansplaining is a thing is there such a thing as womansplaining <laughs> <laughs> I don't know but she she does it she's she's the master of yep. it <laughs> yeah I'm, I don't uh, know I'm pretty I'm pretty sick of Jill Brand to be honest with you she can she can go anytime now god so much misogyny from you Bob I know right <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Senator Harris, you have also been quite critical of Vice President Vice President Biden's policies um, on race, specifically on the issue of busing in the 1970s, having benefited from busing uh, when you were uh, a young child. Vice President Biden says that your current position on busing, you're opposed to federally mandated busing, that that position is the same as his position. Is he right? That is simply false. And let's be very clear about this. When Vice President Biden was in the United States Senate working with segregationists to oppose busing, which was the vehicle by which we would integrate America's public schools, had I been in the United States Senate at that time, I would have been completely on the other side of the aisle. And let's be clear about this. Had those segregationists their way, I would not be a member of the United States Senate. Cory Booker would not be a member of the United States Senate. And Barack Obama would not have been in a position to nominate him to the title he now holds. And so on that issue, we could not be more apart, which is that the vice president has still failed to acknowledge that it was wrong to take the position that he took at that time. Now, I would like to also talk about this conversation about Eric Garner, because I, too, met with his mother. And one of the things that we've got to be clear about is that this president of the United States, Donald Trump, while he has been in office, has quietly been allowing the United States Department of Justice to shut down consent decrees, to stop pattern and practice investigations. On that case, we also know that the Civil Rights Division, this is important, the Civil Rights Division of the United States Department of Justice said charges should have been filed, but this United States Department of Justice usurped, and I believe it is because that president did not want those charges to go forward, and they overrode a decision by the Civil Rights Division of the United States Department of Justice. Under my administration, the the civil Thank rights you, division will reign and there will Vice be President independent investigation. Vice President Biden, I want to like, give you a chance to respond to what Senator Harris just said. When Senator Harris was the attorney general for eight years in the state of California, there were two of the most segregated school districts in the country, in Los Angeles and in San Francisco. And she did not, I didn't see a single solitary time she brought a case against them to desegregate them. Secondly, she also was in a situation where she had a police department when she was there that, in fact, was abusing people's rights. 
And the fact was that she, in fact, was told by her own people that her own staff, that she should do something about and disclose to defense attorneys like me that you, in fact, have been, I mean, the police officer did something that did not give you information would exculpate your, your, your uh, client. She didn't do that. She never did it. And so what happened? Along came a federal judge and said, enough, enough. And he freed Thank a you. thousand of these people. If you doubt me, Google a thousand prisoners freed Kamala Harris. Thank you, uh, Vice President Biden. And Senator Harris, your response? That is, this is simply not true. And as Attorney General of California, where I ran the second largest Department of Justice in the United States, second only to the United States Department of Justice, I am proud of the work we did, work that has received national recognition for what has been the important work of reforming a criminal justice system and cleaning up the consequences of the bills that you passed when you were in the United States Senate for decades. It was the work of creating the fir one of the first-in-the-nation initiatives around re-entering former offenders and getting them jobs and counseling. Thank you, I did the work as Attorney General of putting body you, cameras on special agents I want to bring in, in the Congresswoman state of California, I, I and I'm to, proud of that work. I want to bring in Congresswoman Gabbard. Congresswoman Gabbard, you took issue with Senator Harris confronting Vice President Biden at the last debate. You called it a, quote, false accusation that Joe Biden is a racist. What's your response? I want to bring the conversation back to the broken criminal justice system that is disproportionately negatively impacting black and brown people all across this country today. Now, Senator Harris says she's proud of her record as a prosecutor and that she'll be a prosecutor president, but I'm deeply concerned about this record. There are too many examples to cite, but she put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. She blocked evidence. She blocked evidence that would have freed an innocent man from death row until the courts forced her to do so. She kept people in prison beyond their sentences to use them as cheap labor for the state of California. And she fought to keep cash you, bail system in place that impacts poor people in the worst kind of way. Thank you, Congresswoman. Uh, Senator Harris, your response. As the elected attorney general of California, I did the work of significantly reforming the criminal justice system of a state of 40 million people, which became a national model for the work that needs to be done. And I am proud of that work. And I am proud of making a decision to not just give fancy speeches or be in a legislative body and give speeches on the floor, but actually doing the work of being in the position to use the power that I had to reform a system that is badly in need of reform. That is why we created initiatives that were about re-entering former offenders and getting them counseling. It Thank is you. why, and because I know that criminal justice Thank system you, is Senator. so broken, that I am an advocate for what Thank we you, need Senator. to do to your, not your only decriminalize, but legalize marijuana in the United States. I want to I bring uh, Congresswoman uh, Gabbard back in your response. The bottom line is, Senator Harris, when you were in a position to make a difference and an impact in these people's lives, you did not. And worse yet, in the case of those who were on death row, innocent people, you actually blocked evidence from being revealed that would have freed them until you were forced to do so. There is no excuse for that. And the people who suffered under your reign as prosecutor, oh, you owe them an apology. Senator Harris. <laughs> My entire career, I have been opposed, personally opposed to the death penalty, and that has never changed. And I dare anybody who is in a position to make that decision, to face the people I have faced, to say, I will not seek the death penalty. That is my background. That is my work. I am proud of it. 
I think you can judge people by when they are under fire, and it's not about some fancy opinion on a stage, but when they're in the position to actually make a decision, what do they do? When I was in the position of having to decide whether or not to seek a death penalty on cases I prosecuted, I made a very difficult decision that was not popular to not seek the death penalty. History shows that, and I am proud of those decisions. Senator Harris, thank you very much. Senator Bennett, a question for you. Why are you the best candidate to heal the racial divide that exists in this country today, which has been stoked by the president's racist rhetoric? Yeah, first of all, the president's racist rhetoric should be enough grounds for everybody in this country to vote him out of office. That one thing alone should be enough. Second, Don, I, I, I want to answer your question by tagging on the conversation we were just having. This is the fourth debate that we have had and the t second time that we have been debating what people did 50 years ago with busing when our schools are as segregated today as they were 50 years ago. We need a conversation about what's happening now. And when there's a group of kids in this country that don't get preschool through no fault of their own and another group does, equal is not equal. And we've got a group of K-12 schools that are good because families can spend a million bucks and you've got the Detroit public schools that are as segregated as they were, equal is not equal. And let me tell you something else, Don. I believe you can draw a straight line from slavery through Jim Crow, through the banking and the redlining to the mass incarceration that we were talking about on this stage a few minutes ago. But you know what other line I can draw? 88% of the people in our prisons dropped out of high school. Let's fix our school system and maybe we can fix the prison pipeline that we have. Thank you, Senator Bennett. Governor Inslee, what's your response? Governor Inslee, please respond. You know, uh, I approach this question with humility because I have not experienced what many Americans have. I've never been a black teenager pulled over in a white neighborhood. I've never been a woman talked over in a meeting. I've never been an LGBTQ member subject to a slur. And so I have believed I have an added responsibility, a double responsibility to deal with racial disparity. And we've talked on the way we do it, including ending, ending the school to prison pipeline in my state. But I want to say this, and this is a common error that every single senator on this stage, as much as I respect them all, they all have an enormous error which is going to prevent our party from making any progressive progress in the United States, and it is this. We are all gonna work like the Dickens to get more Democrats elected to the Senate, right? We are going to do that, and I hope we're gonna succeed. But if we get a majority in the US Senate, because of the position of these senators, not a damn thing's going to get done. And I'll tell you why. With all their good intentions, and I know they're very sincere and passionate, and I respect them enormously, but because they embrace this anti-diluvinal, a supermajority thing called the filibuster, Mitch McConnell is going to run the U.S. Senate, even if we take a majority. Thank you. We've got to get rid of the filibuster so we can make progress Mr. the States. Mr. Yang, why are you the best candidate to heal the racial divide in America? Your response. I spent seven years running a nonprofit that helped create thousands of jobs, including hundreds right here in Detroit, as well as Baltimore, Cleveland, New Orleans. And I saw that the racial disparities are much, much worse than I'd ever imagined. 
There even were still a study just came out that projected the average Ameri African-American median net worth will be zero by 2053. So you have to ask yourself, how is that possible? It's possible because we're in the midst of the greatest economic transformation in our history. Artificial intelligence is coming. It's going to displace hundreds of thousands of call center workers, truck drivers, the most common job in 29 states, including this one. And you know who suffers most in a natural disaster. It's people of color, people who have lower levels of capital and education and resources. So what are we gonna do about it? We should just go back to the writings of Martin Luther King, who in 1967, his book Chaos Our Community said, we need a guaranteed minimum income in the United States of America. That is the most effective way for us to address racial inequality in a genuine way and give every American a chance in the 21st century economy. All right, the next one was climate crisis. Um, let's see. Let's now turn to the issue of the climate crisis. The United Nations says the world needs to cut all carbon emissions by 2050 or risk facing disastrous consequences. Governor Inslee, many of your fellow Democratic candidates say climate change is the biggest existential threat facing the country. You, though, are calling it the number one priority in your campaign. What do you know that the others don't? Well, I know the firsthand terrific impact of climate change on Americans across the country already. The family who I saw with their aluminum home, now just a pile of molten aluminum, they lost everything in the Paradise of Fires. The nonprofit in Davenport, Iowa, that was washed away in the floods. We have to act now. Look, climate change is not a singular issue. It is all the issues that we Democrats care about. It is health. It is national security. It is our economy. And we know this, middle ground solutions, like the vice president has proposed, or sort of middling uh, average sized things are not gonna save us. Too little, too late is too dangerous. And we have to have a bold plan, and mine has been called the gold standard. Now, we also need to embed environmental justice. I was in zip code 48217 in the Detroit neighborhood the other day, right next to an oil refinery where the kids have asthma and they have cancer clusters. And after talking to these folks, I believe Thank this, you. I believe this. It doesn't matter what your zip code you, is. Governor. It doesn't matter what your color is. You ought to have clean Thank air and you, clean Governor. water in America. That's Vice what President I believe. Vice President Biden, like to get you to respond. Governor Inslee just said that your plan is middling. There is no middle ground about my plan. The fact of the matter is, I call for the immediate action to be taken. First of all, one of the things that we, we're responsible for 15% of all the pollution in the country. He's right about how it affects people, and it affects neighborhoods, particularly poor neighborhoods. But here's the deal. In that area, there's also another piece. 85% of it is something I helped negotiate, and that is the Paris Climate Accord. I would immediately rejoin that Paris Accord. I would make sure that we up the ante, which it calls for. I would be able to bring those leaders together who I know. I'd, I'd convene them in the White House like we did in the nuclear summit, and I would raise the standard. Thank you, I Mr. also invest $400 billion you, in research for new alternatives to deal with climate change. Mr. Yang, and that's your better than, bigger than any other person. The important number in Vice President Biden's remarks just now is that the United States is only 15% of global emissions. We like to act as if we're 100%, but the truth is even if we were to curb our emissions dramatically, the earth is still going to get warmer. And we can see it around us this summer. The last four years have been the four warmest years in recorded history. This is going to be a tough truth, but we are too late. We are 10 years too late. 
We need to do everything we can to start moving the climate in the right direction, but we also need to start moving our people to higher ground. And the best way to do that is to put economic resources into your hands so you can protect yourself and your families. I was challenged Thank by the you, Vice Senator. President. May I be heard on this for a moment? Go ahead, Governor. Thank you very much. Look, we have, these deadlines are set by science. Mr. Vice President, sure. your argument with, is not with me, it's with science. And unfortunately, your plan is just too late. The science tells us we have to get off coal in 10 years. Yes. Your plan does not do that. We have to have off of fossil fuels in our electrical grid in 15. Your plan simply does not do that. I've heard you say that we need a realistic plan. Here's what I no, believe. I didn't say that. Here's what I believe. I believe that survival is realistic, and that's the kind of plan we need, and that's the kind I have. My plan calls for 500,000 charging stations around the country, so by 2030, we're all electric vehicles. My plan calls for be making sure that we have $400 billion invested in technology to learn how to contain what we're doing, creating 10 million new jobs. We will double offshore wind. We will end any subsidies for coal or any other fossil fuel. But we have to also engage the world while we're doing it. We have to walk and chew gum at the same time. Thank you, Mr. Vice President. Just to clarify, would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking, in a Biden administration? No, it would be, we, would, we would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated and no more subsidies for either one of those, either any fossil fuel. We Thank can't, you. we cannot you, work sir. it out. We cannot work this out. The time is up. Our house is on fire. We have to stop using coal in 10 years. And we need That's a president to do it or it won't get done. That's Get off I'm, coal. Save this country and the planet. That's, that's what, I, what I'm for. Senator Harris, your response? I mean, I, I, I have to agree with Governor Inslee, and I'm going to just paraphrase one of your great sayings, Governor, which is we currently have a president in the White House who obviously does not understand the science. He's been pushing science fiction instead of science fact. The guy thinks that wind turbines cause cancer, but what in fact they cause is jobs. And the reality is that I would take any Democrat on this stage over the current president of the United States who is rolling it back to our collective peril. We must have and adopt a Green New Deal. On day one as president, I would re-enter us in the Paris Thank Agreement you, Senator. and put in place so we would be carbon neutral by 2030. Thank you, Senator. I want to talk about that with uh, Senator Gillibrand. You are co-sponsor of the Green New Deal, which includes the guarantee of a job with medical leave, paid vacations, and retirement security for everyone in America. Explain how that's realistic. So the first thing that I'm gonna do when I'm president is I'm gonna Clorox the Oval Office. The second thing I'm going to do is I will re-engage on global climate change. And I will not only sign the Paris Global Climate Accords, but I will lead a worldwide conversation about the urgency of this crisis. The greatest threat to humanity is global climate change. I visited a family in Iowa who water spewed into her home, Fran Parr. It tossed her refrigerator up end. All the furniture was broken. All the dishes were broken and mud was everywhere. That is the impact of severe weather right now on families' lives. And so the truth is we need a robust solution. When John F. Kennedy said, I want to put a man on the moon in, next, in the next 10 years, not because it's easy, but because it's hard. He knew it was going to be a measure of our innovation, our success, our ability to galvanize worldwide competition. He wanted to have a space race with Russia. 
Why not have a green energy race with China? Why not have clean air and clean water for all Americans? Why not rebuild our infrastructure? Why not actually invest in the green jobs? That's what the Green New Deal is about. Thank you. Not only will I pass up, but I will put a price on carbon to make market forces help Thank us. Thank you, Senator. Congresswoman Gabbard, you are not a co-sponsor of the Green New Deal. Please respond. Oh, first of all, this is personal. You can imagine I grew up in Hawaii, which is the most remote island chain in the world. So for us, growing up there, protecting our environment was not a political issue. It's a way of life. It's part of our culture. It's part of who we are. This is why, as a member of Congress, long before there was ever a Green New Deal, I introduced the most ambitious climate change legislation ever in Congress called the Off Fossil Fuels Act that actually laid out an actionable plan to take us from where we are today to transition off of fossil fuels and invest in green renewable energy, invest in workforce training, invest in the kinds of infrastructure that we need to deal with the problems and the challenges that climate is, is posing to us today. Thank you, Congresswoman. Senator Booker, what's your response? Is the job guarantee in the Green New Deal realistic? I just want to take, first of all, a step back and say that I agree wholeheartedly with Governor Inslee. It's one of the reasons why Greenpeace ranks me and him at the top of this entire field He's of the candidates on climate. Close. Second, uh, but close. Hey, You're just hey. close. <laughs> I want to say very clearly, thank you, man. Thank you. I'll try harder. Look, the reason why is because, first of all, this problem didn't start yesterday. Science didn't become a reality yesterday. This has been going on for years. There was another president that would not join an international accord. Then it was the Kyoto Accords. I was mayor then. And I stood up in national leadership, joining with other mayors to say, climate change is not a separate issue. It must be the issue and the lens with which we view every issue. Nobody should get applause for rejoining the Paris Climate Accords. That is kindergarten. We have to go to far advanced and make sure that everything from our trade deals, everything from the billions of dollars we spend to foreign aid, everything must be sublimated to the challenge and the crisis that is existential, which is dealing with the climate threat. And yes, the majority of this problem is outside the United States. But the only way we're going to deal with this Thank is if you. the United States leads. Uh, Inslee, Jay Inslee said, stop using coal in 10 years. Um, he said, you know, the climate crisis includes health, national security and the economy. Um, <clears throat> Harris kind of supported him. She said science fiction, not science fact. Mm -hmm. Booker kind of supported him, said everything, uh, everything should be sublimated to the environment. Uh, protecting the environment, which I think is, you know, that's probably what we have to do at this point. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. De Blasio talked about eliminating lead. Maybe it's a local issue in New York or something. Lead poisoning. Mm -hmm. uh, Biden talked about rejoining the Paris Accord. He kind of had some beef with Inslee. Up the ante of the Paris Accord. Um, he, he said by 2030... What did he say? Uh, all be electric, um, something double something. Oh, God, I can't read. <laughs> D double, what is it? Do away with something with subsidies to fossil fuels. And it's like, I don't even know if it's a matter of doing away with subsidies. I think we have to go a little bit further than that at this point. So, mm -hmm. uh, Andrew Yang said, give people money to move to higher ground. 
Hey, staying on message. Staying on message. I love it. This is why, I don't know, I just can't take the guy seriously as a candidate. I mean, I don't know. Hey, but we're, we're talking about it, though. You know, that's if his only real goal was to get it in the conversation, we never we weren't talking about it before this cycle, and now we're talking about it. Yeah, gonna, we're, we're changing the game. Yeah, we're we're talking about Hickenlooper and and and, uh, <laughs> and Bennett as well. <laughs> it's like we'll talk anymore. about anybody. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Tulsi Gabbard doesn't support the Green New Deal. Um, yeah, Gillibrand said green energy race with China, which is probably. I don't know. It might have to be a thing where we're competing with somebody to actually get it done. But mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of some things. Um, next section was the economy. I don't know. Did you have anything else about the climate stuff, climate crisis? No, I think we covered most of it. Yeah. <clears throat> um, let's see. Okay, the economy. We want to turn now to the economy. Secretary Castro, this was for you. Wage growth is up. Stocks are rising. Unemployment is near historic lows, including for Latinos and African-Americans. You have all outlined plans, but you in particular that could end up raising taxes. How can you guarantee that won't hurt the economy? Well, first of all, there are a lot of Americans right now that are hurting. Just go and ask the folks that just received notice that they're going to get laid off by General Motors or ask the many folks who are sleeping on the streets in big cities and small towns across the United States, or ask fast food workers that I joined a couple of weeks ago that are working for minimum wage and can't provide for their families or pay the rent. So the idea that America is doing just fine is wrong. Not only that, this president always likes to take credit, like he did this. We've now had about 105 straight months of positive job growth, the longest streak in American history. Over 80 months of that was due to President Barack Obama. Thank you, Barack Obama. Thank you, Barack Obama. So, you know, I believe that we need to invest in what will ensure that Americans can prosper in the years to come, making sure they have the knowledge and and skills to compete in the 21st century economy, ensuring that they can afford the rent where they live and that they have health care so that they don't have to worry about going homeless because they can't afford a medical procedure. Thank you, Secretary Castro. Uh, I want to turn now to a question about trade and for Congresswoman Gabbard. Many saw the Trans-Pacific Partnership issue as something that would be a critical tool to deal with the rise of China. You were against it. How would you ensure that the United States is able to remain competitive against China on the world stage? By pushing for fair trade, not trade deals that give away the sovereignty of the American people and our country, that give away American jobs, and that threaten our environment. These are the three main issues with that massive trade deal, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. I think the central one was the fact that it gave away our sovereignty to a panel of international corporations whose rulings would supersede any domestic law that we would pass, either a federal law or a state or a local law. This is extremely dangerous and goes against the very values that we have as a country. What to speak of the fact that it would have a negative impact on domestic jobs and that it lacked clear protections for our environment. These are the things that we have to keep at the forefront as we look to enact fair trade deals 
with other countries to make sure that we continue to be a thriving part of our global economy. So to be clear, Congresswoman, would you keep President Trump's tariffs on China in place? Uh, I would not, because the approach that President Trump has taken has been extremely volatile without any clear strategic plan, and it has a ravaging and devastating effect on our domestic manufacturers, on our farmers who are already struggling and now failing to see the light of day because of the plan that Trump has taken. Vice President Biden, would you rejoin the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which, of course, the, the President Trump withdrew from? Please respond. I'd renegotiate it. We make up 25% of the world's economy. In order, either China's going to write the rules of the world for the 21st century on trade, or we are. We have to join with the 40% of the world that we had with us, and this time make sure that there's no one sitting at that table doing the deal unless environmentalists are there and labor is there. And to make sure we equip our workers first to compete by investing in them now, in the things to make them more competitive. That's what we have to do. Otherwise, they are going to write the rules of the road. We must have the rest of the world join us to keep them Thank in you. check from abusing. Thank you. Vice President Biden, just to be clear, would you or would you not rejoin the TPP, yes or no? I would not rejoin the TTP as it was initially put forward. I would insist that we renegotiate pieces of that with the Pacific nations that we had in South America and North America so that we could bring them together to hold China accountable for the rules of us setting the rules of the road as to how trade should be conducted. Otherwise, they're going to do exactly what they're doing, fill the vacuum and run the, and run the table. Thank you, sir. Mayor de Blasio, you also oppose the deal. Please respond. Yeah, and I would just want to ask this question of all the candidates, but particularly of Vice President Biden. The President Trump is trying to sell NAFTA 2.0. He's got a new name for it. It's just as dangerous as the old NAFTA. It's going to take away American jobs like the old NAFTA, like it did to Michigan. And we cannot have Democrats be party to a new NAFTA. So, Vice President, I believe you're the only person on the stage who voted for the original NAFTA. Are you ready to say here and now, that you will oppose a new NAFTA and that what you will believe in, which a lot of us hope for, is trade treaties that empower organized labor across the boundaries of the world and give working people power again, not Mr. just Vice multinational President? corporations. Yes. Your response? Your response, sir? Yes. That's it? No, he said, would I insist that labor be engaged? The answer is yes. I consider that a victory. <laughs> well, I love your affection for me. You spent a lot of time with me. You know what? We, we believe in redemption, Joe. We believe in redemption in this party. Well, I tell you what, I hope you're part of it. Okay, I want to ask a question of Senator Bennett now. Senator, CNN reached out to Michigan Democratic primary voters for their most pressing question. Ferris from Flint, Michigan, has this question. Here in Detroit, our economy has seen firsthand how technology and automation can displace workers and create uncertainty around human job security. How would you balance these disruptions created by technology with the beneficial impact of technology on our economy? This, Dana, this goes to the last question you asked as well, which is how are we going to remain competitive? It's not just about trade, which we were talking about earlier. It's about whether we're going to invest in this country anymore. Since 2001, we have cut $5 trillion worth of taxes. Almost all of that has gone to the wealthiest people in America. We have made the income inequality worse, not better, through the policies of the federal government. We've spent $5.6 trillion in the Middle East. 
that's 12 or 13 trillion dollars that from the point of view of driving the economy in, in Michigan or anywhere else in America, we might as well just have lit that money on fire. We've got to stop doing that. And we need to invest in America again. For the money that we've spent that I just described, we could have fixed every road and bridge in this country. We could have fixed every airport that, that, is, that needs to be fixed. We could have fixed not just Flint, but every water system in this country. We could have made Social Security solvent for my children. Thank you, Senator. But we did none of it because of self-serving politicians in Washington, D.C., who voted for deals that were good for them, Senator Bennett, but not thank you for very Michigan much. or the American Your time people. Is up. Oh, God, I can't read. <laughs> okay, 80 out of 105. I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, it was monumentally important. <laughs> yeah, in the moment, it seemed worthwhile. Okay, 80 over 105, Castro. Oh, 80, oh, oh okay, okay, I got it again. Okay, so he says 80 out of the past 105 months of uh, straight job growth are due to Obama. So he said, you know. Oh, yeah, 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 I remember that. Um, Obviously, Trump's taking way too much credit for the economy because, you know, <laughs> there were 80 months of job growth before he came in. And since then, there's only been 25. So and it looks like we're about to go off the ledge on that mm-hmm. if the economy crashes. So mm-hmm. my my big fear I meant to mention earlier was that the we will go into recession, but it'll hit right as the Democrats coming in. And it yeah, will... right. And they'll be like, thanks, Obama or Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Biden, whoever. Biden. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, the important thing is that the we've had this. What is it? The crazy dip inversion or whatever it is that Trump was tweeting about the other day. The uh, ratio dip, you know, the 10 year 10 year grants or 10 year. God, what is it? Uh, Government bonds versus the two year government bonds. The yield curve. Yeah, the crazy inverted yield curve flip or whatever. Yeah, I think it's important that that's happened now because they, you know, they said those have predicted the last 70 uh, recessions. And I, Mm -hmm. my question then was, well, does it always predict a recession or have there been cases where that that flip has happened and it hasn't led to recession? And then the next day I read an article that said, no, it predicts it 100 percent. Like it's like there's never been a time in the past, you know, however many times we've had the 60 or 70 years or something where the flip has happened and we haven't had a recession. So it seems to be extremely predictive. So the only question seems to be when's this, when is it going to start? So um, mm-hmm. let's see. Um, oh God, Gabbard said something. Re- remove tariffs on China. Uh, let's see. Biden said renegotiate TPB, uh, include labor. Um, something like that, something, something. Uh, let's see. Uh, Gillibrand fought him on that. She said, uh, this is this is the weird thing. She teleported an attack on Biden, an old op-ed about working women. Um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> that That's not really about the TPP, but okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think she it's, saw what Harris did and she was like, hey, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not so well. No, not so well. Joe Biden is no uh, Al Franken, Christopher Christian Gillibrand. <laughs> Can't be taken down mm-hmm. so easily. 
didn't I think I think I saw a thing that like Harry Reid or somebody wants uh, wants Al Franken to run for Senate again. <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah, I, it's probably I, too yeah. late at this point, but I still think he wasn't done correctly. Like I, he should have at least had his investigation or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Bennett talked about ending tax cuts, um, investing in infrastructure. Um, Yang talked about giving women a thousand dollars a month to be entrepreneurs. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> yeah, because I, I guess at this point the economic, the economy situation had shifted to women, women in the economy. Um, like women get that that, that money too. <laughs> yeah, Harris talks about fixing the gender wage gap. Um, Mr. Yang, women on average urge earn eighty cents, about eighty cents for every dollar earned by men. Senator Harris wants to find companies that don't close their gender pay gaps. As an entrepreneur, do you think a stiff fine will change how companies pay their female employees? I have seen firsthand the inequities in the business world where women are concerned, particularly in startups and entrepreneurship. We have to do more at every step. And if you're a woman entrepreneur, the obstacles start not just at home, but then when you seek an, a mentor or an investor, often they don't look like you and they might not think your idea is the right one. In order to give women a leg up, what we have to do is we have to think about women in every situation, including the ones who are in exploitative and abusive jobs and relationships around the country. I'm talking about the waitress who's getting harassed by her boss at the diner, who might have a business idea, but right now is stuck where she is. What we have to do is we have to give women the economic freedom to be able to improve their own situations and start businesses. And the best way to do this is by putting a dividend of $1,000 a month into their hands. It would be a game changer for women around the country because we know that women do more of the unrecognized and uncompensated work in our society. It will not change unless we change it. And I say that's just what we do. Senator Harris, your response. I think that's support of my proposal, which is this. Since 1963, when we passed the Equal Pay Act, we have been talking about the fact women are not paid equally for equal work. Fast forward to the year of our Lord, 2019, and women are paid 80 cents on the dollar, black women 61 cents, Native American women 58 cents, Latinas 53 cents. I'm done with the conversation. So yes, I am proposing, in order to deal with this, one, I'm gonna require corporations to post on their website whether they are paying women equally for equal work. Two, they will be fined for every 1% differential between what they are paying men and women, they will be fined 1% of their previous year's profits. That'll get everybody's attention. Thank you, Senator. Senator Time Gill for action. Senator Gillibrand, what's your response? Will fining companies help solve the problem? Um, I think we have to have a broader conversation about whether we value women and whether we want to make sure women have every opportunity in the workplace. And I want to address uh, Vice President Biden directly. Um, when the Senate was debating uh, middle class affordability for child care, he wrote an op-ed. He voted against it, the only vote. But what he, he wrote in an op-ed was that he believed that uh, women working outside the home would, quote, create the deterioration of family. Um, he also said that women who were working outside the home were, quote, avoiding responsibility. And I just need to understand, as a woman who's worked my entire career as the primary wage earner, as the primary caregiver, in fact, the second, my second son, Henry, is here. And I had him uh, when I was a member of Congress. So under Vice President Biden's analysis, am I serving in Congress 
resulting in the deterioration of the family because I had access to quality, affordable daycare. I just want to know what he meant when he said that. That was a long time ago, and here's what it was about. It would have given people making today $100,000 a year a tax break for childcare. I did not want that. I wanted the childcare to go to people making less than $100,000, and that's what it was about. As a single father, who in fact raised three children for five years by myself, I have some idea what it costs. I support making sure that every single solitary person needing childcare get an $8,000 tax credit now. That would put 700 thousand women back to work increase the GDP by almost eight tenths of one percent it's the right thing to do if we can give tax breaks to corporations for these things why can't we do it this way but mr. Thank vice you. president you didn't answer my question what did you mean when you said when a woman works outside the home it's resulting in quote the deterioration of family no, and I, that we are avoiding these are quotes it was the title of the op-ed no. And that just causes concern for me because we know America's women are working. Four out of 10 moms have to work. They're the primary or sole wage earners. They actually have to put food on the table. Eight out of 10 moms are working today. Most women have to work to provide for their kids. Many women want to be working to provide for their communities you, and to Senator. help people. Let so the Vice President either you don't no, believe you. it today or what did you mean when you said it In then? In the very beginning, my deceased wife worked, but we had children. My present wife has worked all the way through raising our children. The fact of the matter is, the situation is one that I don't know what's happened. I wrote the Violence Against Women Act, Lily Ledbetter. I was deeply involved in making sure there the equal pay amendments. I was deeply involved in all these things. I came up with the It's On Us proposal to see to it that women were treated more decently on college campuses. You came to Syracuse University with me and said it was wonderful. I'm passionate about the concern making sure women are treated equally. I don't know what's happened except that you're now running for president. So I understand. Mr. Vice President, Mr. Vice President, I respect you deeply. I respect you deeply. But those words are very specific. You said women working outside the home would lead to the deterioration of family. My grandmother worked outside the home. So my, my mother worked outside the home. And, and Thank from, you, Senator Gillibrand. So, well, he has I, I either, want to bring Senator Harris Either he no longer believes it. I mean, I just think he needs to... I never to... believed it. Thank oh, you. Okay. Senator Harris, please respond. Well, I just... You, listen, I mean, talk about now running for president and you change your position. On the Hyde Amendment, Vice President, where you made a decision for years to withhold resources to poor women to have access to reproductive health care, and in, including women who were the, the, the victims of rape and incest... Do you now say that you have evolved and you regret that? Because you've only, since you've been running for president this time, said that you had, you in some way would take that back or you didn't agree with the decision that you made over many, many years. And many, this many, directly many. impacted so many women in our country. And yep. I personally prosecuted rape cases and child molestation cases. And the experience that those women have, those children have, and that they would then be denied Thank the you, resources. Senator. Let the vice president respond, I think is, is Unacceptable. The fact is that uh, the senator knows that's not my position. Everybody on the stage has been in the Congress and the senator house has voted for the Hyde Amendment at some point. The Hyde Amendment in the past was available because there was other access for those kinds of services 
provided privately. But once I wrote the legislation making sure that every single woman would in fact be, have an opportunity to have health care paid for by the federal government, everyone, that that could no longer stand. I support a woman's right to choose. I support it's a constitutional right. I've supported it. I will continue to support it. And I will in fact move as president to see to that the Congress legislates that that is the law Thank as you. well. well Thank why you, Mr. Does it take President. Governor so Inslee, your change your position on the Hyde Amendment. Why did it take so long until you were running for president to change your position on the Hyde Amendment? Because there was not full federal funding for all reproductive services prior to this point. Okay. Thank you. Governor Inslee, your response? I, I would suggest that we need to broaden our discussion. I would suggest we need to think about a bigger scandal in America, which is that in professions and careers where women have been uh, more than the majority, they have been almost always underpaid. And that is why this year I'm proud to be the governor who won the largest pay increase for our educators in the United States. And I believe that that is long, long overdue. I think it is true for nursing staff as well. And I'm glad that we've now passed Thank new you. measures. And I'm glad that we've increased our union membership 10% Thank so governor. unions can Thank stand you, governor up Inslee. for Biden said something about you changed your position and Harris said, you changed your position on the Hyde Amendment. There was some exchange there. Again, Bob, I'm 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 <clears throat> reconstructing this from just my notes. I mean, you're going to have to work the magic well, with the uh, yeah with the I audio will. drops in here, <laughs> so that we sound you know reasonably smart. At, like we know we're yeah. talking about things that actually things were people said. Yeah. Well, no, I I, I just watched that yesterday. So I, I that part that you're talking about, and so. I remember when she said that, and that was when she was like, well, but you didn't change fast enough. It's like, come on. This is what we're we're arguing about who did and didn't think things first. It's like, they do you think it now? Like, it's, mm -hmm. is it is it, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, is it, you know, I don't know. The whole line of attack doesn't do much for me. But Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> at our galloping pace now here, Bob, we are on to foreign policy. Oh, my. I want to well. turn to foreign policy, if we can. Senator Booker, there are about 14,000 U.S. service members if, in Afghanistan right now. If elected, will they still be in Afghanistan by the end of your first year in office? Well, first of all, I want to say very clearly that uh, I will not do foreign policy by tweet, as Donald <laughs> Trump seems to do all the time. A guy that literally tweets out that we're pulling our troops out before his generals even know about it is creating a dangerous situation for our troops in places like Afghanistan. And so I will bring our troops home and I will bring them home as quickly as possible. But I will not set during a campaign an artificial deadline. I will make sure we do it. We do it expeditiously. We do it safely to not create a vacuum that's ultimately going to destabilize the Middle East and perhaps create the environment for terrorism and for extremism to threaten our nation. Uh, Congresswoman Gabbard, you're the only veteran on the stage. Please respond. This is real in a way that's very difficult to convey in words. I was deployed to Iraq in 2005 during the height of the war where I served in a field medical unit where every single day I saw the high cost of war. Just this past week, two more of our soldiers were killed in Afghanistan. My cousin is deployed to Afghanistan right now. Nearly 300 of our Hawaii National Guard soldiers are deployed to Afghanistan. 14,000 
service members are deployed there. This is not about arbitrary deadlines. This is about leadership, the leadership I will bring to do the right thing, to bring our troops home within the first year in office, because they shouldn't have been there this long. For too long, we've had leaders who have been arbitrating foreign policy from ivory towers in Washington without any idea about the cost and the consequence, the toll that it takes on our service members, on, our, on their families. We have to do the right thing, end these wasteful regime change wars, and bring our Thank troops you. home. Thank you, Congresswoman. Mr. Yang, Iran has now breached the terms of the 2015 nuclear deal after President Trump withdrew the U.S. from the deal. And that puts Iran closer to building a nuclear weapon, the ability to do so at the very least. You've said if Iran violates the agreement, the U.S. would need to respond, quote, very strongly. So how would a President Yang respond right now? I would move to de-escalate tensions in Iran because they're responding to the fact that we pulled out of this agreement. And it wasn't just us in Iran. There were many other world powers that were part of that multilateral agreement. We'd have to try and re-enter that agreement, renegotiate the timelines, because the timelines now don't make as much sense. But I've signed a pledge to end the forever wars. Right now, our strength abroad reflects our strength at home. What's happened, really? We've fallen apart at home, so we elected Donald Trump, and now we have this erratic and unpredictable relationship with even our long-standing partners and allies. What we have to do is we have to start investing those resources to solve the problems right here at home. We've spent trillions of dollars and lost thousands of American lives in conflicts that had unclear benefits. We've been in a constant state of war for 18 years. This is not what the American people want. I would bring the troops home, I would de-escalate tensions with Iran, and I would start investing our resources in our own communities. Governor Inslee, your response? Well, I, I think that these are matters of great and often difficult judgment and there is no sort of primer for presidents to read. We have to determine whether a potential president has adequate judgment in these decisions. Uh, I was only one of two members on this panel today who were called to make a judgment about the Iraq war. I was a relatively new member of Congress, and I made the right judgment because it was obvious to me that George Bush was fanning the flames of war. Now we face similar situations where we recognize we have a president who'd be willing to beat the drums of war. We need a president who can stand up against the drums of war and make rational decisions. That was the Thank right you. vote, and I believe Thank it. you, Governor. Vice President Biden, he was obviously suggesting that you made the wrong decision and had bad judgment when you voted to go to war in Iraq as a U.S. senator. I did make a bad judgment trusting the president saying he was only doing this to get inspectors in and get the U.N. to agree to put inspectors in. From the moment shock and awe started, from that moment, I was opposed to the effort and I was outspoken as much as anyone at all in the Congress and administration. Secondly, I was asked by the president in the first meeting we had on Iraq. He turned and said, Joe, get our combat troops out in front of the entire national security team. One of the proudest moments of my life was to stand there in Afwa Palace and tell everyone that we're coming, all our combat troops are coming home. I opposed Thank the you. surge in Afghanistan. This long overdue, we should have not, in fact, gone into Afghanistan. Thank you, Mr. Vice President. I, I want to bring in, I would like to bring in the, the person on the stage who served in Iraq, uh, Governor, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Congresswoman Gabbard, your response to what Vice President Biden just said. We were all lied to. This is the betrayal. This is the betrayal to the American people. 
To me, to my fellow service members, we were all lied to, told that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, was working with al-Qaeda, and that this posed a threat to the American people. So I enlisted after 9-11 to protect our country, to go after those who attacked us on that fateful day, who took the lives of thousands of Americans. The, the problem is that this current president is continuing to betray us. We were supposed to be going after al-Qaeda, but over years now, not only have we not gone after al-Qaeda, who is stronger today than they were in 9-11, our president is supporting al-Qaeda. Thank you, Congresswoman. We Let's talk, talk about, about Iran. Thank you, please. We didn't talk about Iran. Please. We're on a march to war in Iran right now, and we blew please, by Please, Mayor, it. the rules, please follow the I rules. I respect the rules, but Mayor, we have to Mayor, stop thank this you very march much. to war in Iran. We're, we're going Democratic on, and we're going to talk about another subject. Mayor, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, and I didn't take a lot of notes, uh, but uh, Booker said uh, no artificial deadline for Afghan withdrawal. Um, Inslee said... <clears throat> He was against the war in Congress. Um, he was, you know, again, obviously a a blow to Biden. I think Biden said, you know, hey, I trusted George W. Bush, which, you know, should be disqualifying already. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's largely that's a big part of why Obama beat Clinton. So mm -hmm. for sure. Um, Tulsi Gabbard, of course, talked about bringing troops home within one year. Mm -hmm. Um Let's see. Uh, Yang said, bring troops home and de-escalate with Iran. Um, I thought you were going to say give him $1,000, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. He couldn't He couldn't do much with that on that one. <laughs> um, let's see. Mueller. Mueller was the next issue. Let's talk about now the former special counsel Robert Mueller's appearance in front of uh, Congress last week. When asked whether or not the president could be charged with a crime after leaving office, his answer was... Yes. Senator Harris, you have criticized President Trump for interfering with the Justice Department. And just last month, you said if you were elected president, your Justice Department would, quote, have no choice and should go forward with the obstruction of justice charges against former President Trump. Why is it OK for you to advocate for the Justice Department to prosecute somebody but President Trump, not him? Well, I would never direct the Department of Justice to do whatever it believes it should do. But uh, listen, look, we all watched the, his testimony. I read the report. There are 10 clear incidents of obstruction of justice by this president, and he needs to be held accountable. I've seen people go to prison, prison for far less. And the reality of it is that we have a person in the White House right now who has been shielded by a memo in the United States Department of Justice that says a sitting president cannot be indicted. I believe the American people are right to say there should be consequence and accountability for everyone and no one is above the law, including the president of the United States. Senator Booker, your response? My, my response is exactly that. I've read the report. I've read the redacted versions of the report. We have something that is astonishing going on in the United States of America. We have a president that is not acting like the leader of the free world. He's acting like an authoritarian against the actual Constitution that he swore an oath to uphold. And so this is a difference with a lot of us on this debate stage. I believe that we in the United States Congress should start impeachment proceedings immediately. And I'll tell you this, Debbie Stabenow now has joined my call for starting impeachment proceedings because he is now stonewalling Congress, not allowing or subjecting themselves to the checks and balances we swore an oath to uphold the Constitution. The politics of this 
be damned. When we look back in history at what happened when a president of the United States started acting more like an authoritarian leader than the leader of the free world, the question is, is what will we have done? And I believe the Congress should do its job. Senator Booker, thank you very much. Secretary Castro, what's your response? Well, I agree. Uh, I was the first of the candidates to call on Congress to begin impeachment proceedings. There are 10 different instances that Robert Mueller has pointed out where this president either obstructed justice or attempted to obstruct justice. And I believe that they should go forward with impeachment proceedings. As to the question of what my Department of Justice would do, I agree with those who say that a president should not direct uh, an attorney general specifically to prosecute or not prosecute. However, I believe that the evidence is plain and clear and that if it gets that far, uh, that you're likely to see a prosecution of Donald Trump. Thank you, Secretary. Mayor de Blasio, I'm going to bring you in. What's your response? I think it's obvious at this point in our history that the president has committed the crimes worthy of impeachment. But I want to caution my fellow Democrats, while we move in every way we can for impeachment, we have to remember at the same time, the American people are out there looking for us to do something for them in their lives. And what they see when they turn on the TV or go online is just talk about impeachment. We need more talk about working people and their lives. For example, are we really ready? And I ask people on this stage this question. Are we ready to make sure that the wealthy pay their fair share in taxes? That's something every American wants to know about. That's something they want answers to right now. So, yeah, move for impeachment, but don't forget to do the people's business and to stand up for working people, because that's how we're actually going to beat Donald Trump. The best impeachment is beating him in the election of 2020. Mayor, thank you very much. Senator Bennett, how do you respond to this conversation? I think, look, as we go forward here, we need to recognize a very practical reality which is that we are four months away. We've got the August recess. Then we are four months away from the Iowa caucuses. And I just want to make sure whatever we do doesn't end up with an acquittal by Mitch McConnell in the Senate, which it surely would. And then President Trump would be running saying that he had been acquitted by the United States Congress. I believe we have a moral obligation to beat Donald Trump. He has to be a single-term president, and we can't do anything that plays into our, his hands. We were talking earlier about, about climate up here. It's so important. Cli Donald Trump should be the last climate denier that's ever in the White House. Senator Bennett, thank you very much. But, Secretary Castro, please respond. But we need to be smart about how you, we're Senator. running, or we're going to give him a second Secretary, term. Please, we can't turn. do it. <laughs> well, let me first say that I, I really do believe that we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, all of us have a vision for the future of the country that we're articulating to the American people. We're going to continue to do that. We have an election coming up. At the same time, Senator, um, you know, I, I think that too many folks in the Senate and in the Congress have been spooked by 1998. Uh, I believe that the times are different. And in fact, I think that folks are making a mistake by not pursuing impeachment. The Mueller report clearly details that he deserves it. And what's going to happen in the fall of next year of 2020, if they don't impeach him, is he's going to say, you see, you see, the Democrats didn't go after me on impeachment. And you know why? Because I didn't do anything wrong. These folks that always investigate me, they're always trying to go after me. When it came down to it, they didn't go after me there because I didn't do anything wrong. Conversely, if Mitch McConnell is the one that lets him off the hook, we're going to be able to say, Secretary, well, sure, they impeached Secretary him in the House, Castro, but his friend Mitch you. McConnell, Moscow thank Mitch, you, let him off the hook. Senator Bennett, please respond. I... I, I don't disagree with that. You just said it better than I did. We have to walk and chew gum at the same time. It is incredibly unusual for members of Congress to be able to do that. 
And I'm glad that <laughs> Secretary Castro has the well, my brother can. He's here uh, That's tonight. what I was yeah. going to say. Yeah. It's your brother that's giving you that good feeling about <laughs> the Congress. That's what we should do. Thank you, Senator. Thank you, gentlemen. Harris said, allow Justice Department to pursue Trump. Um, Booker says, impeach now. We can, we can, what did he say? We can Moscow Mitch. We can something. Yeah, that got an applause line. I remember that. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I, I think they need to keep. I don't think he should ever be called anything except Moscow Mitch for the rest of his natural days, which may not be many. Sounds like it's sticking, too. So I really hope he gets beat by Amy McGrath. That would be so sweet. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I hope he does, too. But um, I don't know. She doesn't seem like an incredibly impressive candidate, but I don't know. Hopefully she'll work her magic in Kentucky there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think Booker is right. He said, you know, let Moscow Mitch, let him off the, let off the president, you know, yeah. let him make, own him, that. make him pardon him, make him not, not do the thing he's supposed to do. Yeah. I think that's the right move. Um, yep. yeah. Uh, Castro said he was the first to call for impeachment, um, which is good and correct. Uh, I think it was him first. And I think it was, uh, was, uh, Elizabeth Warren, I believe if memory serves. Mm -hmm. um de blasio said the best impeachment is beating trump at the ballot box yeah Yeah, (laughs) sorry (laughs) that (laughs) survey survey says wrong answer (laughs) yeah somebody somebody's you know he's i don't know somebody's in in the pelosi camp there uh bennett says make him a one-term president uh, if we fail to impeach, Trump will use it against us. Yada yada yada. Bennett again, being the, the scared centrist that he is. I don't know. Yeah, that was most of what I got from the Mueller section. So, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. And then we finally we come to the the closing statements, also known as AKA plug your website, which or 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 not or, or plug some nine, imaginary nine, website that doesn't exist. It is time now. For closing statements, you will each receive one minute. Mayor de Blasio, let's begin with you. Thank you. For the last three years, we've watched Donald Trump pit working people against each other, black versus white, citizen versus immigrant. And why? So that the wealthy and the powerful he represents can hold the American dream hostage from everyone else. We can't let them get away with it. If we're going to beat Donald Trump, this has to be a party that stands for something. This has to be the party of labor unions. This has to be the party of universal health care. This has to be the party that's not afraid to say out loud, we're going to tax the hell out of the wealthy. And when we do that, Donald Trump, right on cue, will call us socialists. Well, here's what I'll say to him. Donald, you're the real socialist. The problem is, it's socialism for the rich. We, here in this country, we don't have to take it anymore. We can fight back. If you agree that we can stand up to Donald Trump and we can stand up to the wealthy, then go to taxthehell.com and join us so we can build a country that puts working people first. Senator Bennett. Thank you. Thank you very much. What I want to say to all of you tonight is we have been here before as a country. We have faced challenges that we've actually even forget some of us tonight, how hard the people fought, how hard they worked, 
how hard they organized, the votes they had to take, the people they had to get to the polls to make this country more democratic, more fair, and more free. And now we have a person in the White House who has no appreciation of that history, who doesn't believe in the rule of law, who doesn't believe in the independence of the judiciary, who doesn't believe that climate change is real. I think that we have an incredible opportunity in front of us, all of us, to come together just as our parents and grandparents did before them and face challenges even harder than the ones that we face. But the only way we're going to be able to do it is to put the divisive politics of Donald Trump behind us and the divisive politics of the last 10 years behind us. We need to come together, united against a broken Washington, make Donald Trump a one-term president, and begin to govern this country again for our kids and our grandkids who cannot do it for themselves. We have to do it for them. Please join me at michaelbennett.com. Thanks for being here tonight. Governor Inslee. For decades, we have kicked the can down the road on climate change. And now under Donald Trump, we face a looming catastrophe. But it is not too late. We have one last chance. And when you have one chance in life, you take it. Think about this. Literally, the survival of humanity on this planet in civilization as we know it is in the hands of the next president. And we have to have a leader who will do as ne what is necessary to save us. And that includes making this the top priority of the next presidency. And I alone on this panel am making that commitment that this will be the organizing principle of my administration, not the first day, but every day. And if you share my view of the urgency of this matter, I hope you'll join me. Because we are up against powerful, special fossil fuel interests, and it is time to stand up on our legs and confront the fossil fuel special interests. Because that is our salvation, what it depends upon. So I hope you will consider going to jnz.com and joining this effort. And I will close with this. I am confident and optimistic tonight, even in the face of this difficulty, because I know we can build a clean energy economy. I know we can save our children and our grandchildren. I know that we can defeat climate change, and we will defeat Donald Trump. This is our moral responsibility, and we will fulfill it. Thank you very much. Senator Gillibrand. Donald Trump has really torn apart the moral fabric of this country, dividing us on every racial line, every religious line, every socioeconomic line he can find. I'm running for president because I want to help people. And I actually have the experience and the ability to do that. I brought Congress together and actually made a difference in people's lives. I also know how to beat Donald Trump. He has broken his promises to the American people. I've taken this fight directly to his backyard in Michigan and Ohio and in Pennsylvania, and I'll go to all the places in this country. I will fight for your family. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter who you love, because that's my responsibility. And I've done this before. I started out in a two-to-one Republican district. I won it twice. 
I've never lost an election since. And I not only bring people together electorally, but also legislatively, I get things done. So we need a president who's not afraid of the big challenges, of the big fights. There is no false choice. We don't need a liberal or progressive with big ideas, or we don't need a moderate who can win back Trump-Obama voters. You need someone who can do both, and that's who I am. Please go to KirstenGillibrand.com so I can make the next debate stage. Congresswoman Gabbard. Thank you. Now, Donald Trump and warmongering politicians in Washington have failed us. They continue to escalate tensions with other nuclear-armed countries like Russia and China and North Korea, starting a new Cold War, pushing us closer and closer to the brink of nuclear catastrophe. Now, as we stand here tonight, there are thousands of nuclear missiles pointed at us. And if we were to get an attack right here tonight, we would have 30 minutes, 30 minutes before we were hit. And you would receive an alert like the one we received in Hawaii last year that would say, incoming missile, seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. And you would see as we did, as my loved ones in Hawaii did, there is no shelter. This is the warmonger's hoax. There is no shelter. It's all a lie. As president, I will end this insanity because it doesn't have to be this way. I will end these wasteful regime change wars, work to end this new Cold War through the use of diplomacy to de-escalate these tensions and take the trillions of dollars that we've been wasting on these wars and on these weapons and redirect those resources into serving the needs of our people right here at home. Things like health care for all, making sure everyone in this country has clean water to drink and clean air to breathe, investing in education, investing in our infrastructure. The needs are great. As your president, I will put your interests above all else. Secretary Castro. Well, first of all, let me say uh, thank you to you, Jake, Dana, and to Don, and to everybody here and to those watching. Uh, you know, this election is all about what kind of nation we're going to become. You and I, we stand on the shoulders of folks who have made beds and made sacrifices, people that fought in wars and fought discrimination, folks that picked crops and stood in picket lines, and they helped build the wonderful nation that we live in today. Donald Trump has not been bashful in his cruelty. And I'm not going to be bashful in my common sense and compassion. I believe that we need leadership that understands that we need to move forward as one nation with one destiny. And our destiny in the years to come is to be the smartest, the healthiest, the fairest, and the most prosperous nation on earth. If you want to help me build that America for the future, I hope you'll go to JulianCastro.com and on January 20th, 2021, we'll say together, adios to Donald Trump. <laughs> Mr. Yang. You know what the talking heads couldn't stop talking about after the last debate? It's not the fact that I'm somehow number four on this stage in national polling. It was the fact that I wasn't wearing a tie. Instead of talking about automation in our future, including the fact that we automated away four million manufacturing jobs, hundreds of thousands right here in Michigan, we're up here with makeup on our faces and our rehearsed attack lines, playing roles in this reality TV show. 
It's one reason why we elected a reality TV star as our president. We need to be laser focused on solving the real challenges of today, like the fact that the most common jo jobs in America may not exist in a decade, or that most Americans cannot pay their bills. My flagship proposal, the Freedom Dividend, would put $1,000 a month into the hands of every American adult, be a game changer for millions of American families. If you care more about your family and your kids than my neckwear, enter your zip code at yang2020.com and see what $1,000 a month would mean to your community. I have done the math. It's not left. It's not right. It's forward. And that is how we're going to beat Donald Trump in 2020. Senator Booker. Thank you. Uh, first, I just want to give uh, a lot of thanks to the city of Detroit. Uh, they're hosting us today, and uh, one of the reasons I respect this city is because it has the kind of defiant love that I find in many American cities, including the city of Newark. And Detroit is turning around, and Newark is turning around because we let no one divide us, no one demean or degrade us or underestimate our worth. We pulled together and fought for common purpose and common cause. That's the history of this city. My mom is sitting there who was born in the city of Detroit, born to a guy that was a UAW worker, my grandfather, who pulled his family out of poverty in the Depression. My grandmother joined him. She was really entrepreneurial, opened a pool hall and a laundromat right here in this city. That is the American dream. And so many of us have stories like that. But the dream of this country is under threat right now. Well, my mom's generation, 80, 95% of baby boomers did better than their parents. It's now just a coin toss for millennials. We have a real crisis, crisis in our country, and the crisis is Donald Trump, but not only Donald Trump. I have a frustration that sometimes people are saying the only thing they want is to beat Donald Trump. Well, that is the floor and not the ceiling. The way we beat Donald Trump is not just focusing on him. He wants to take all the oxygen out of the room. It's when we start focusing on each other and understanding that our common bonds and our common purpose to address our common pain is what has saved us before, it's what's gonna save us now. That is the kind of leader that I am going to be as President of the United States, not just uniting the Democratic Party, but making sure that we put more indivisible back into this one nation under God. And if you believe like I do, please go to CoreyBooker.com and join the mission. Senator Harris. So in my background as Attorney General of California, I took on uh, the big banks who preyed on the homeowners, um, many of whom lost their homes and will never be able to buy another. I've taken on the for-profit colleges who preyed on students, put them out of business. I've preyed on transnational criminal organizations that have preyed on women and children. And I will tell you, we have a predator living in the White House. And I'm going to tell you something. Donald Trump has predatory nature and predatory instincts. And the thing about predators is this. By their very nature, they prey on people they perceive to be weak. They prey on people they perceive to be vulnerable. They prey on people who are in need of help, often desperate for help. And predators are cowards. What we need 
is someone who is going to be on that debate stage with Donald Trump and defeat him by being able to prosecute the case against four more years. And let me tell you, we've got a long rap sheet. We're looking at someone who passed a tax bill benefiting the top 1% and the biggest corporations in this country when he said he would help working families. We've got a person who has put babies in cages and separated children from their parents. We have someone who passed a so-called trade policy that was trade policy by tweet and has resulted in attacks on American families. So we must defeat him and then, in turning the page, write the next chapter for our country. And that has to be written in a way that recognizes what wakes people up at 3 o'clock in the morning. And that is my agenda, the 3 a.m. agenda that is focused on getting folks the jobs they need, getting their children the education they need, making sure they have the health care they need and the future they deserve. So please join me at KamalaHarris.org, and I thank you for your time. Vice President Biden. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you, Mr. Mayor, for Detroit hosting this. Look, uh, I've said it many times, and I think everyone agrees with this. We're in a battle for the soul of America. This is the most consequential election any one of you, no matter how old or young you are, has ever, ever participated in. Four more years of Donald Trump will go down as an aberration. Hard to overcome the damage he's done, but we can overcome it. Eight more years of Donald Trump will change America in a fundamental way. The America we know will no longer exist. Everybody knows who Donald Trump is. We have to let him know who we are. We choose science over fiction. We choose hope over fear. We choose unity over division. And we choose, we choose the idea that we can, as Americans, when we act together, do anything. This is the United States of America. When we've acted together, we have never, never, never been unable to overcome whatever the problem was. If you agree with me, Go to Joe 30330 and help me in this fight. Thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> nine out of ten candidates were successfully able to do it, Bob. <laughs> I know, right? And the man who was not able to is our current front runner. <laughs> so oh just put that in your pipe and smoke it. This is our <laughs> so. con- this is our concern, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Biden, you're out of your element. Yeah, absolutely. I just yeah, that that that's the thing that worries me the most with Biden, not what he said like 38 years ago, but that he can't keep things straight now and he's having a lot of senior moments and you know, I I don't obviously Trump is disintegrating before our eyes on a daily basis too, but like that's going to be a pretty depressing debate to watch if it's if it's Biden Trump and they're just kind of like saying whatever falls out of their head as they like slowly <laughs> I don't <Yeah>. know devolve. <laughs> well, I I think with Biden what we've seen in the past few days here is that it's more than just senior moments, right? Like I mean, the thing I you'll have to drop the audio in here again, but like the thing where he said like um you know, poor and undereducated and da 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 should have the same opportunity as whites, white yeah. kids or something. It's yeah. Like, or, you know, yeah. blacks or Asians. It's like <laughs> we should challenge students in these schools to have advanced placement programs in these schools. We have this notion that somehow if you're poor, you cannot do it. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids, wealthy kids, black kids, Asian kids. No, I really mean it, but think how we think about it. We think now we're going to dumb it down. 
They can do anything anybody else can do, given a shot. That's not just a senior moment. That's actually revealing to us that you actually think that the opposite of, you know, a poor and lowly educated person is a white person. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is exactly. it's very similar to the thing that he said about Obama being like a, a well-spoken black man or something like <laughs> yeah. before the it's like um, it, it reveals a mindset. This, this is these are not yeah. benign slips. Right. Like no. this is. And everybody's like, oh, don't make a big deal about it. Da, 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 da. He misspoke. His heart's in the right place. It's like, guys, it's just this, not a good we are sign. going. <laughs> you guys are determined to run the Hillary Clinton playbook again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, oh, she's not that popular, but that's okay. Oh, she made a mistake, but that's okay. She can still beat Trump. It's like, I can, I can see it happening all over again. You know, again, probably anybody could beat Trump. But, but I don't know, you know, you put, you put Biden in there, a guy who has notoriously never had a successful campaign for yeah, president. Yeah, this is not his first rodeo. He's tried this before and it didn't go so well any other time. Yeah. Once again, I feel like, you know, the Democrats who are saying he's the safest bet and he's the, you know, he, he's, he's got the highest polling and he's, he's the consensus candidate. They're doing the same shit that they did in 2016, where they, this is you know, exactly what they were saying about Hillary. Yeah. 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 It's uh, and it's and I, I, I think I see some of the same kind of establishment, you know, weaknesses, really, mm-hmm. just very strongly. Like, I know we talk about that a lot. It's kind of a thing we harp on, but it's just so true. It's like mm-hmm. this guy's going to get out there. He's going to say some insensitive stuff about race or gender or LGBT or God knows what, and then suddenly the media has a field day with it, and it's you know he's on the same par with Trump, and mm-hmm. you know with all the shit that Trump says, mm-hmm. and you know next thing you know they harp on it, and the right wing media runs with it, and the you know the mainstream media has to feels like they have to not be biased, so they have to cover the same things the right wing is covering, and mm-hmm. next thing you know it's four more years. Yeah, so. absolutely, or eight or twelve or however long. <laughs> yeah but I, i'm just i'm just saying it's criminally incompetent to do the same thing twice in a row and lose two yeah, times if, def- if that's what happens of, definition of insanity yeah so. I, I don't know it's kind of a cliche these days but yeah it's like it's so obviously a bad idea and yes yeah. he's popular with people who are not really paying attention but you know what i don't know it's uh, got a long time until november 2020 to you know yeah. talk about all his flaws but which is why i'm supporting john delaney so <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> right oh, boy. i i wish it had been i you know poor hickenlooper i wish it had been delaney first uh, he's, but, uh, he's coming soon i think coming soon to a dropping out ceremony near you <laughs> yeah well let's see okay so closing statements aka plug your website um de blasio said trump's a socialist for the rich Bennett said some things. I didn't really, I don't know, didn't really pay attention. Um, Inslee says we have one last chance on climate, and when you have a chance, you take it. Um, Gillibrand said, please go to KirstenGillibrand.com so I can make the next debate stage, which is probably the most (laughs) honest thing that was said all night. (laughs) Just getting right out in front of it. (laughs) It's very desperate, but very honest. Oh, yeah. Um, Tulsi Gabbard said there's a new Cold War belligerence with China, Russia, North Korea. Yeah. We're 30 minutes from launch. 
Jesus, lady, take it down a notch. I know, right? Whoa. Oh, my <laughs> God. Um, she, and then she said, incoming missile, seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill, but there is no shelter. It's all a lie. Jesus, lady, take it down. Right. Right. I, I can't. I, I can't. Yeah. Tell her to stop. <laughs> I can't deal with it. It's I mean, you know, I don't know. She's she was referencing like the, the tsunami warning or what the hurricane warning. Of, I don't I don't know. I, I can't even with her. Right. Like, right. it's just. Uh, exactly. um. Castro, Julian Castro says, we'll say adios to Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. good. <laughs> you really, you really put the a little Spanish on, in there. Yeah, he really put the inflection on the adi- adios. <laughs> like, he definitely, <laughs> he really gave it his all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, he was, I, yeah. Um, let's see. Yang says, no, no tie. He says, I wasn't wearing a tie. Everybody made a big deal last time because I wasn't wearing a tie. And now today again, because I'm such a rebel, I'm not wearing a tie again. He says, I'm number four in national polling. What? I don't know what that is. Um, I think he meant on the stage. I don't think he means overall. Okay. Um, He said, we're here. We've got makeup on our faces. He says, if you care about your family more than my tie or makeup, then visit my website. Mm -hmm. Uh, Booker says, Newark is very similar to Detroit. My mom's from Detroit. She had a business here, but for some reason we moved to New Jersey. Um, he says beating Trump is only the floor. It's not the ceiling. Yada, yada, yada. Vote for Pedro and all your wildest dreams will come true. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Basically. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Um, Harris said Trump is a predator. Yada, yada, yada. She prosecutes predators. She's kind of a predator herself, basically, probably oh, for yeah. Trump, which is a good thing. I, yeah. I like the idea of Harris prosecuting Trump. I like that. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, then we've got four years with her, you know. <laughs> Who's she going to so, prosecute next? <laughs> yeah, it's it's it's, it's kind of like your 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 you know makeup sex or something after a long a long relationship or something. It's like, yeah, she did a good job chasing the last girl out, but damn, I don't want to stay with her. <laughs> <laughs> oh man america's on a rebound <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah we better be yeah um let's see uh joe biden says four more years of trump he said he says four years well okay he screwed up his whole speech he said four more years of trump would be an aberration um eight more years of trump will change yeah. america in a fundamental way no no four you screwed it up four more four years of yeah. four years of trump originally that's no four more years of Trump is not an aberration. Four years of Trump is an aberration. Eight years of Trump and not eight more years of Trump. It should yeah, be exactly. eight years total. Right. I know Trump wants to make it around 12. He says eight more years will of Trump will change America in a fundamental way. Uh, science over fiction. Go to Joe30330.com, <laughs> which I don't think is a website, although it probably I, I, is now. Yeah, it is now. Somebody else claimed it immediately. Uh, obviously, should have thought of that first. Uh, and then uh, I guess that was his text message campaign that you're supposed to text something to like Joe with, with like 30. I, well, he, he screwed it up all altogether. That wasn't a real website. So. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, you know, you don't got to be perfect up there. It's a high pressure environment, but like, I don't know this guy. He can't, he can't say anything right. He, I don't know, whatever it's, you know, America, if you vote for this guy, if you make him the democratic nominee, you're really taking the country in your hands. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. Anyways, those were my notes. That's what I've got for the, the second night of the Democratic yep. debate in Detroit, Michigan, at the end of July in 2019. Yep. And we got another one coming up in September. Uh, we got nine candidates that have uh, qualified. qualified. Andrew Yang just qualified, making him the ninth. So uh, I think the two that are on the cusp I read were uh, Tulsi. She just needs mm. another poll showing that she's above 2%. Uh, and then she, uh, oh, the Tom Steyer is the other guy that's on the cusp of making it. Mm. So the billionaire, billionaire bad, mm. but yeah. once, once like bad things for Donald Trump, good. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I, I do hope we start getting down to the, like, you know, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's a good thing. We're getting a lot of ideas out there, and I think some of them are interesting. I will say, you know, the $1,000 a month thing for all American citizens, that's an interesting idea, and it's it's good that it's out there. But I, I don't think we need to keep having to follow every word that Andrew Yang says in every debate <laughs> <laughs> just to get that idea out there. So For sure. And Inslee, you know, with the environment, I hope he keeps going. Because really, that's that's probably the number one issue in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, Russia could wipe us off the map with nukes tomorrow and, you know, us survivors would still be out there trying to scrounge to find a way to survive in a uh, in a, you know, a global warming hellscape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so exactly. we do have to get our priorities straight. And the other thing is that's just so frustrating about this is while they all, you know, argue about various things like uh you know, it costs three trillion. It costs two trillion. Oh, it costs this much. Da 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 da. Is just like, you know, and and all the fighting with the Republicans and all the back and forth. And well, they say this, and the other side says that, and we don't know which which side could be right. It's like there are countries that have solved, you know, all the problems that America has out there. I mean, I'm not saying that there's one country that's done it, but you know, there are countries here who have solved this problem. There's countries there that have solved that problem, and you know, it's like ancient Rome, right? Ancient Rome brought back certain aspects of culture or things from the various places that they conquered. And, you know, they had a successful empire. We, you know, we have to be able to find the best solutions from around the world and implement them to solve problems that are crippling the country. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we get the economy under control, we get global warming under control, we get the gun violence under control, and maybe, just maybe, we won't have all these scared, you know, economically and, you know, future-wise petrified, you know, people turning to, you know, racist fascists and stuff to get, mm-hmm. you know, to make themselves feel secure in an insecure world. Yeah. So Absolutely. We gotta, we gotta, you know, really start finding solutions and, you know, the healthcare. There's countries, most countries do it better than us. You know, mm-hmm. most modern economies do it better than us. There's mm-hmm. a way to do it. Um, gun crime, most countries that are not mm-hmm. in a war zone do it better than us. Mm-hmm. There's a way to solve it. You know, racial issues. I mean, God bless America. Is like America is the, you know, one of the most diverse countries in the world. You know, 
we are going to have some problems, but we don't have to have as many problems as we do. And it's unacceptable mm-hmm. the amount we have. So, mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Did you see uh, Cardi B's uh, summit with Bernie? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's that was good. pretty interesting. Yeah. She's, she's, she's smart and helpful. This is Senator Bernie Sanders. I am with Cardi B. We're at the 10 Nail Bar in Detroit, Michigan, talking about some of the most important issues that impact you. Don't you ever feel, like, scared that, like, these people that run drug companies and these schools, you know, it's all a business. And it's like, are you scared that you will get so many powerful people upset? (laughs) I don't know. Cardi, that's what I've been doing my whole life. (laughs) All right, guys. So this is Cardi and Bernie. And we're out here in Detroit at the Tent Nail Bar because you know I love nails. You know what I'm saying? A couple of weeks ago, I asked my followers, what type of questions would you like to ask a Democratic candidate? Let's go, baby. (laughs) And you know what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to advocate the youth in my community because I feel like there's a serious problem right now in America. We have this bully as a president, and the only way to take him out is somebody winning. You know, we got to get rid of Donald Trump, obviously, because Donald Trump is an overt racist. He's way out there. But right now, people are just not scared to show it. And we constantly see on social media police brutality against black men and against minorities. What are we going to do to change that? Because that is discouraging our people. It's discouraging us to, to, to fight. It makes us feel like we're worthless. We constantly see a man getting killed every day. And it seems like nobody cares, nobody's sympathizing, nobody's talking about it. Obviously, we need to end all forms of racism in this country, from Donald Trump down to the local police department. We have something like one out of four young black men in this country end up in the criminal justice system. They may end up in jail, they may end up on parole, they may end up on probation, whatever it is. That is disgusting and beyond belief. So, first thing we do is we make sure that young people in this country, black and Latino, Native American, whoever they may be, get the kind of education and job training they need so they can go out and get good jobs. We have to invest in jobs and education, not more jails and incarceration. Second of all, in terms of police brutality, if a police officer kills somebody, that killing must be investigated by the United States Department of Justice. Number three, we at the federal level make sure, do everything that we can to make sure that police departments look like the communities that they serve, not like an oppressive army. I don't want people thinking that that we're trying to attack the police. Because let me tell you something. There was this one time that I started to feel like I hate the police. They pigs. But there's a lot of cops that go in their jobs and they want to protect their people. So we need police departments that look like the communities that they serve. We get rid of a lot of this militarization of the police department, which is a form of intimidating people in the community. (music) 
you get nervous when you do your big performances? Um, it depends. What about when you go abroad? Is that okay? They love Americans over there. It don't matter what. Oh, well, Americans. There is a lot going on when it when it comes to the immigrants. It's a very tough situation. I met a fan in one of my concerts, and he was telling me how he's a dreamer, and he was approved by DACA and everything, and now he had to get deported to Mexico, to a country that he don't know nothing about. What are we gonna do when it comes to the dreamers in this country? I'm gonna make a promise to you, all right? Here it is. Trump ended the DACA program with an executive order. In the first week I'm president, we're gonna reestablish and expand that DACA program. There are about 1.8 million young people who have only known the United States as their home. They may have never visited Mexico or any place else in their life. This is where they were raised. And, and we're not only talking about Mexico. That's right. It's immigrants from all around the world that are facing the same problem. You got it. So what we do is we will reestablish the legal protections that the 1.8 million young people in this country today had under DACA. So they once again will have those protections, and I think we're going to expand that program for their parents as well. Yeah. <laughs> the popular questions are how would it be possible to get free health insurance free education and how will our student loans will be forgiven because a lot of people think that it's impossible and a lot of people don't want extreme socialism we are in Detroit Michigan mm -hmm. if we go into Canada what we find is that every man woman and child in that country has health care as a human right. So does the United Kingdom. So does Germany. So does Sweden, France, Norway, Denmark. Bottom line is the current system works to make billions of dollars in profit for the insurance companies and the drug companies. That's its function. I want to change that. People are just afraid to pay more taxes than they are already paying. So how do you think we could work around that? Right now, the way we pay for health care is pretty complicated. Every month, there's a premium that you have to pay. Yeah. And when you go to the doctor, you have to pay a co-payment. And often, you have to pay out of your own pocket because your insurance may not cover this or that procedure. And then you pay in taxes for Medicare, for Medicaid, and for the Veterans Administration. So people have to understand that. No more premiums, no more co-payments, no more deductibles. You go to any doctor you want. and. You do pay more in taxes depending on your income. The overwhelming majority of the people will end up paying less than they're currently paying in health care. Their taxes will go up, but they're not going to be paying premiums, deductibles, co-payments. Hey, what are we going to do about wages Good. in America? Good. Like, for example, like me as a, a New Yorker, not now, but, you know, when I was not famous, I just felt like... No matter how, how many jobs I get, I wasn't able to get to make any needs. Like, I wasn't able to pay my rent, get right. transportation, and eat. That is an excellent and important question. Because right now, we have tens of millions of people who are earning what I consider to be starvation wages. Can you imagine somebody today earning $9 an hour? It don't make no sense. No, it doesn't. How do you pay your rent? How do you pay for food? How do you pay for transportation? Right. 
You can't. And if you have a child. Yes. And, and my thing is that, you know, certain people like to brag that there is more jobs now in America. But it's like, yeah, there's an increase of jobs given, but what are they paying right. in these jobs? They're practically paying nothing. You got it. That is exactly the issue. So you can get a job, but maybe you're going to have to work with two or three jobs. Exactly. Legislation that I've introduced, which was passed in the House recently, U.S. House, would raise that minimum wage to $15 an hour. And what we also have to do is make it easier for workers to join unions so they can sit down and engage in collective bargaining and earn a decent living. You know that you have a mutual, mutual respect for FDR. Did you want to talk about that? Oh, well, you know, me and his wife, we have the same birthdays. I have a couple of reasons why I love FDR, you know what I'm saying? I feel like it's amazing because he became a president when America was in one of its worst times. And not only are you going through a, a depression, but you're also going through World War II. So you're trying to fix the economy while you have to fund a war. So it's like for me... So for me to know that a president did that, I mean, come on now, he, he did the new deal. Like, that's the reason we have Social Security. That's right. So it just amazed me that he came up with all of those things, plus personal problems. Like, you know, he had polio and everything. And it's just like, goddamn, I, I love him. He's my favorite. Well, I want to be your favorite after I'm elected, but we'll see. All right. <laughs> Bernie, do you think it's going to be possible to eliminate student debt? Because so many people are suffering these things, and it just, I feel like it discouraged the youth to go to school. Party, you are 100% right. You got 45 million people in this country who have student debt. Do you believe that? Yes. 45 million. You have young people, 25, 30, they were told, you got to go to college to go out and get a good job, right? Yes. So they went $50,000, $100,000 in debt. Number one, if you can get into college, if you have the ability, you should be able to get a college education regardless of your income, and we're going to make public colleges and universities tuition free. Second thing, to answer your question, we are going to cancel all student debt in America. Now, how can we do that? We're going to do all of that by putting a very modest tax on Wall Street speculation. I want to tell my millions of followers, we're here to educate you guys. I hope your questions have been answered. And let's just get more educated. Please, let's put our focus on these terms elections because I don't think people understand how serious it is. Cody, can I just say one thing before we get off? A lot of people moan and groan, right? They don't like Donald Trump. They don't like the low wages. They don't like spending 50% of their income in housing. They don't like student debt. They don't like the fact they can't go to college. But all of that moaning and groaning and complaining doesn't mean anything unless we change the system, okay? Young people have got to get involved in the political process. Register to vote. It is not hard. It takes you five minutes. Register to vote. Trump does not want people of color to be participating in the political process. Participate in the political process. And then think about who the candidate is that is speaking the issues that are important to you, and then vote. If we have young people voting in large numbers, you know what? I have zero doubt 
but that Donald Trump will be defeated. But thank you so much, Bernie. Thank you so much. <laughs> Let's do <Right>. the burn. <laughs> I mean, she yeah. was she was there in 2016 too. I remember so. Mm-hmm. Vote for, for sure. Uncle Bernie. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Killer Mike was on uh, Bill Maher's show a few days ago, I believe. So. Oh, cool. He is one half of Run the Jewels and host of the Netflix show Trigger Warning. Michael Render, aka Killer Mike, is over here. Big Mike. There's that. There's that thousand watt smile. How are you? How y'all doing? How y'all doing? All right. Mike, so glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. Are you representing there? Uh, is this that, is, or... uh, man, this is, in, in, so I know we're going to get around and talk about capitalism uh, some point. Well, um, okay. a, a couple kids sent yes. me a big and tall streetwear brand called oh, Brand. So okay. they're chubby. They figured chubby kids could buy expensive shoes. So I invested in their company. I bought oh, some of them. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> big of you. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so, all right, I got a million things I want to ask you. Let's yeah. just start with Jay-Z, because that's all in the news. Jay-Z has partnered with the NFL. Yes. I understand Robert Kraft is the one who brought them together. Robert's uh, gotten a lot of hip-hop points was, the past couple of years. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, he's, he got, he's an owner. got meek free, got jerked off. <laughs> all in line with rapper shit. <laughs> You know you like that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so no the, insult, though. I like right. Mr. Crab. But uh, the internet is on Jay Z, yeah. like uh, Beyonce's sister in an elevator. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> because, of course, it, we had the Super Bowl, and, yeah. and Colin Kaepernick still doesn't have a job in the NFL. Doesn't, and there was a lot of pressure from a lot of. People saying, you artists, you Maroon 5 played the gig, but they got shit for doing it. Some people stayed away. Some people are now saying that Jay-Z is giving NFL cover Eric Reed. He's a, he's a pro bowler for the yeah, Panthers. Yeah, hell of a player. He said, it looks like your goal, talking to Jay-Z, was to make millions by assisting the NFL in burying Collins' career. I don't agree with that, but I want your take. Um, being a black American is a duality. Right? And I navigated because I was raised in Atlanta. So an Atlanta Super Bowl came last year. I stood up in one of the meetings and I raised hell about there not being a social climate involved. Meaning, um, I said at least you could have 12 kid shadow producers and learn how to produce a show. We have an arts and theater school that Outcast came out of, Tri-City. My school, Frederick Douglass High School, arts program. I was like, simple as that, you can do that, right? <laughs> I saw how our communities got decimated when Major League Baseball kind of pulled out years ago. Um, they found another genetic pool down in the Dominican Republic they could get much cheaper, right? Um, <laughs> are we still talking about Jay-Z? Yeah, we are. Gotcha. <laughs> because what we're really talking about is sports <laughs> plantations and what fuels them. Right? So the NFL is fueled by talent from black kids and poor working class white kids that make good. Jay-Z has been a capitalist his entire career and a celebrated one because he was one of us that made it out the streets, made it in the rooms, and he did what he could when he should. When the Grammys did not show the hip-hop portion, Jay-Z boycotted. I know because I boycotted that same year. Only Grammy I ever won. I was sad as hell after. But I stood in solidarity. <laughs> Jay-Z's play, okay. I believe, not only gives us a seat at the table, young people, young black America, it yes. doesn't destroy what Cap knelt for. What he knelt for was proper treatment of us by state agents, but please. 
that does not end with him getting a job. The same way him kneeling is not an insult to the military. It is as an American asserting your First right. Amendment rights, saying something and is wrong. So on both sides of this polarized issue that we're given to narrow these narrow issues, these wide issues, and given this narrow frame to argue, like Chomsky said, we shouldn't do that. Look for the tertiary agreements. I believe that if Jay-Z becomes a team owner, Cap gets a tryout. Yeah, I, well, okay. <laughs> well, I, I just, I mean, I won't read this whole quote, but the quote is basically saying, time, to, time for action. Yes. Uh, and it, to me, it sounds like he's been talking to Obama. No. You know, it, Jay-Z has. No. Because this is Obama to me. Well, well, let's no. do something real. Let's get something done. Let's not well, the let the perfect be the enemy of the good. But the African-American community will argue that Obama didn't do that. There are elements, the same elements that would argue that Jay-Z's betraying. There's an element to argue out of African-American community that's not very pleased with Obama. Now, I'm not here to castigate. I'm just simply saying we are not monolithic. monolithic. No. We have different views. And around Jay-Z, there was a mayor in Atlanta named Maynard Jackson. When he took mayorship, this is what he said. We're going to have a seat at this table, so 29% of any contract that comes across the city has to be African-American participated and owned. He couldn't find one African-American architecture firm at that time, so you know what he did? Hired black contractors to build a runways. He said, if you can build a driveway, you can build a runway. So although he couldn't include us in architecture, he got black companies like the Herman Russell Company working to build Fulton County Stadium to build that. And okay. that's what Jay's doing. And with right. that said, okay. I'm a huge supporter of Kaepernick. All right. <laughs> May I ask a second question? <laughs> You'll get more questions. Okay, so guns. Yes. Every time you're here, we have to talk about guns because I don't know why. Know, but there was a shooting last week, and it's Cory Booker, Kamala Harris have have gun plans out, and they're talking about these red flag laws. I bet you, I know that you're not down with that. No. I can't be. I'm an African American male. I live in a progressive city in the deep south. I'm surrounded by white gun owners who have owned guns for generations, who agree with the president that's being compared to nationalistic and Nazi-like. I would be a fool to then give my guns to said government. <laughs> Doesn't mean I have anything personally against the lobby to get Kamala and Corey in, whether it be a Senate seat or presidency. It means that I simply cannot, in my support of black participation in politics, that is an issue I cannot support. Because a red flag means they're going to find reasons to take guns. Well, they already, they already have. And you, I, I know you would say that they're going to find more reasons with... Easy. The gun laws affect African Americans worse than first. You know how Dr. King got guns to be an issue? He filed for a concealed carry permit. Right. You know that in the Deep South 70, 80 years ago, black men could buy shotguns and they could not buy rifles. Well, what's the difference? They both kill people. A shotgun can kill the Klan once they're 30 yards away. A rifle could kill the Klan at 100 yards away. I would want a dead Klansman 100 yards away so that he never gets within 30 yards of shooting my wife and children. And... <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, we already have, in my view, too many police. You know, there are five police forces, forces between Malibu and this studio. I've been pulled over by four of them. <laughs> 
That's true. They all let me keep my weed, though. That's how I knew you guys were much more progressive. But, you know, there's the FBI and the DEA yeah. and the ATF yeah. and the TSA yeah. and ICE and federal yeah. and sheriff's department yeah. and the federal marshals and border and, and customs and state police. the cops. I, but, you know, that's a lot of people with a license to kill who don't really share Absolutely. my politics, and Absolutely. they all love Trump. Absolutely. There's, well, I can't say all, but a lot. Like, I have a no, black no. cop call Almost me last week all. who's a constitutionalist. Cops so I know love Trump. He voted Trump. Yeah. yeah <laughs> okay, so, um, you're Atlanta. Yeah, There Atlanta. was a big, uh, conclave today with Mayor Pete was there. Yeah, uh, I'll be, I'll be Corey there tomorrow Booker with was there. Who, yeah. Oh, you will be there tomorrow. Yeah, I'll leave right after here to fly home. Oh, My wow. wife's not happy about that. Uh, <laughs> she wants to stay in Malibu and smoke weed. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why would it be different in Malibu? <laughs> I mean, it's a, weed is weed. That's what's great about know, it. It doesn't matter where you weed. are. Yeah, we got better yeah. strip clubs. You got better weed. We uh. should meet in the middle. <laughs> <sighs> Green weed and black women, man. Okay. That's all, right, it. all right, all right. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so uh, Mayor Pete. Yeah. What, what do you think about Mayor Pete? Because I, every time I turn in the news, they're talking about him, and they say, well, he's got a problem. You know, he's not down with the brown. <laughs> I, I like his personality. I don't know enough of his policy. I know he ran into some issues around the police and um, sat in the South Bend area. My thing is, with police forces and any mayor, <clears throat> why do they seem to have control and volley over the mayor's office versus the other way around? Now, in my city, police seem to be taken to task more, right? Um, there was a group of policemen who accidentally killed a black, um, a black old lady on a, a, a false premise drug raid. They were sent to jail. Policemen killed the kid who um, was falsely accused of stealing a car and went to jail. That doesn't happen in other places. New York, de Blasio could have done something quicker. He did not. So he showed his cowardice. In Mayor Pete's growth into a national politician, he's going to have to get out in front of this and be tough and square. Dick Gregory said something years ago, God bless the dead. If you attack insurance companies and the police pensions, you will see a deceleration. Because he said, it's funny, you never see black cops accidentally keep killing white kids. Not that they're more spiritual or smarter. They understand that white people are not going to tolerate it. And the way that you don't tolerate things in capitalism is attack the money. If your police force is misabusing and using you and they don't look like you, find ways to attack their money. Find ways to attack their unions, their pensions. Find ways to attack the city's money, and you'll see change. Okay. Awesome. And that's, oh, that's one thing. That's one thing I was going to say is, like, you know, the the Warren versus Bernie thing and stuff, too. Like, um, one thing that's interesting, I, I think one thing that's interesting is the black vote in America, right? Because that's a huge thing for Democrats. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was big for Obama. Hillary didn't really have it as much. Mm -hmm. Um Elizabeth Warren has almost no support in the African-American community, mm. which is interesting mm. and kind of worrying. So, Yeah, so does Buttigieg is also searching for that <laughs> vote as well. Yeah, I, I think these people are not, I mean, we can't do it without the African-American vote. So, Absolutely. Well, I guess just making mind. the case that if everybody does better, everybody does better is probably our best bet in that way as far as Bernie or Warren, I guess, because they're definitely pushing the economic solution. And, you know, I think that the thing that people criticize them about is that they're not as focused on helping specific communities as trying to help everybody. So some people want yeah. their specific, you know, issues addressed. And they don't feel that they're as, you know, laser focused on that as they should be. And they're just trying to say, well, if we do this, it'll help everybody and everybody will benefit. So, yeah, 
but I, I think like I think Bernie was kind of like that, especially more more so in 2016, and I think he's mm-hmm. tried to modulate that a little bit this time. Mm-hmm. But I I do think they need to be careful. I think like I I I, I heard something from I, I forget if it was Politico's podcast or if it was from uh, what was it the the Pod Save America or something. But they were saying like they had I think it was Pod Save America. They had done a poll of like people or something in Michigan or somewhere. Mm-hmm. And they pulled a whole bunch of stuff, but one thing that pulled very badly amongst every group basically was reparations. Like yeah. we've talked about the reparations talking point before, and I think mm-hmm. Bernie's kind of jumped on it because because in 2016 the the kind of the uh, you know a rising tide raises all boats argument that mm-hmm. he was making was not connecting with African American audiences and stuff. But the thing was like reparations pulls badly with. Republicans, independents, mm-hmm. and also Democrats. It's like, mm-hmm. this is, I think we talked about it last time or something. I just said, I don't see this happening. I don't see it being realistic. I see it being incredibly divisive. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we could talk to Ta-Nehisi Coates or whatever, but I just think it's a, it's a losing issue to try to push. So I, you know, I, I do... I do wish more people could see the wisdom of the rising tide raises all boats argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think it's correct. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think it wrong. is too. No, I think it is. I, I'm convinced by it, but I'm also yeah. not a minority. So, you know, what do I know? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, you, if the thing is you can make things better for the minority, but if you don't make things better for the white working class as well, Mm. they're going to vote for a Trump again. Mm-hmm. Believe that, right? Yeah, they're like, oh, so, you're going to take from me to give to them? No. Yeah, the grievance politics will be raised oh, yeah. to 11. It's, it, it has to be It has to be a rising a rising tide raises all boats. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's what I got to say. So. Mm-hmm. All right, Anyways, well, uh, yeah, yeah the, uh, the natives are becoming restless here. <laughs> so, okay. Um, I need to start uh, getting getting going here, but uh, good good chat with you, and uh, thanks for taking so many copious notes. We'll uh, we'll try to do this closer to the time, so it's a little fresher in our, our minds next time. And I think it's yeah. uh, forget when exactly the date is of the next one, but I know it's in September. So yeah, I think if it's only one night, it should be a hell of a lot easier to get it knocked out pretty easily. Uh, I think. Yeah, I know. I'm so sick of talking about these also ran people at the edge of the stages. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but Bob, aren't you going to ask me about like what music I've been listening to lately? Oh yeah, of course. What music you've been listening to, Chad? Bob, can Ed Sheeran <laughs> write a song that is not a hit? <laughs> He's incapable. <laughs> I just heard his new song, Antisocial, last night. Mm. God damn, this guy <laughs> can write music, son. <laughs> Why is he so good? <laughs> I don't get it. Like, I don't know. He's he's a weird dude in real life, as far as I can tell. But like mm-hmm. his music writing and his his lyrics and his, you know, everything is like, I don't know. The guy is pretty solid. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and also there's this uh, new uh, techno guy. I forget his name. He's European. Uh, oh, God. Uh, Alan Walker. Do you know him? Mm-hmm. No. Like, I'm just hearing his music everywhere. Like, I don't know. It's in Battlegrounds. He had the PUBG Mobile Battlegrounds game. He had a song or three or four songs in there. He's got songs everywhere now. He's doing collabos with everybody. Mm. So watch out for that, I guess. Oh, well. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else, but uh, I don't know. Hold on one second. Let me, let me check my thing here.
library. Okay, Bob, I got one more. All right. Uh, Actong musician, dinosaur. It's some sort of K-pop, but it's mm. a it's a weird song. I haven't really looked into it, but the chorus is dinosaur. Mm. It sounds like childish, but it's kind of like a like a R and B sort of thing or something. I don't know. It's interesting. Mm. Actong nice. musician. So check that out. Cool. Yeah, I've been mostly I've been catching up on uh, Nipsey Hussle. I didn't listen to him a whole lot when he was alive, but kind of in retrospect now that since he died, I've been kind of going back and there's a good uh, remix album of uh, his vocals over uh, DJ Premier uh, from hmm. Gangstar as uh, Beats uh, and DJ Premier obviously worked with uh, everybody from Biggie to Jay-Z to uh, everyone else, but um yeah, some great, great music there. So, okay, yeah, I'll have to check it out. Like that's a, again, that's somebody I never heard of until he died, and mm-hmm. you know, then there were the so way. many like retro, retrospective and retroactive things. Like, why didn't people like show this guy more respect when he's alive? And oh god, we've lost it. I'm just like, I'm sorry to say, but I'm like, who was the guy? Yeah, like, exactly. Sorry, I, I was never un- heard of unclear. the guy. Like, is yeah. this a West Coast thing? Mm-hmm. I don't really, you know. I'm sorry. I mean, sounds awesome, but yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's a lot. There's a lot to pour through. You should, you should give it a chance. It's good stuff.
Join the Rob Burgess Show mailing list. Go to tinyletter.com forward slash the Rob Burgess Show and type in your email address. Then respond to the automatic message. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review everywhere the podcast is available, including iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, RSS, and now Spotify. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. If you have something to say, record a voice memo on your smartphone and send it to therobburgessshow at gmail.com. Include voice memo in the subject line of the email. Also, if you want to call or text the show for any reason, the number is 317-674-3547. Until next time.